than you were mine But I threw it away I thought the grass was greener there Where I wondered one day True. I thought the grass was greener there. Now here am I, so blue. Welcome to Tales from the East End, episode 185, and it's me, Gary P, and of course, the Prof Carelli. You're finally here, Gary. We were supposed to do this yesterday. Yes, I was, uh, I'm still struggling. Still struggling. I don't think I can go on the session anymore, Prof. It hit me for six, and then I think I just started to make up uh, diseases that was wrong <laughs> with me, so I didn't have to move from the couch. I was like, "Is this fella having a third bout of COVID?" Oh no, it wasn't even that. It was more so the fear. But um, yeah, we're back. We are back, Prof. It's looking good. Ocean Electrical, Leinster Credit. What do we have, my sponsors, Prof? They got you back. Yeah, we're very, very happy to have the lads on board and looking after us again this this year. So let's credit, check out their websites, give them a Google. And of course, Ocean Electrical, who are now sponsoring uh, Glenmalore Rovers as well. And they got them a cracker of a new away kit. Unbeaten in it as well. As I think we'll talk a little bit about Glenmalore in a while. Mm-hmm. Their fortunes have changed on the pitch for the last while. Three in a row. <laughs> so we're going to talk about them in a while. Uh, but we're going to look forward we're looking forward to the President's Cup final with Pats on Friday Prof and, and there's another instalment of our Player of the Year series it's three time club Player of the Year award winner Baz Murphy Baza and our popular former goalkeeper so uh, Prof I enjoyed this one uh, nice insight into the 2005 season and then Michael O'Neill and all and then it's going to lead into our next big guest very nicely yeah, that's what I was about to say. It tees it up nice, doesn't it? Because he talked a good bit about the relegation season when Roddy was there. And uh, obviously, that we're, that's mostly what we covered with Roddy in uh, in that interview. Oh, so. Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> should, we, should we talk about that now? He was <laughs> Apparently, he's not too familiar with the south side. Uh, yeah. I gave him my address. But what, about 10 minutes before that, I sent you a message. Yeah, yeah, Gareth sends me a message impersonating Roddy, going, Prof, I'm at the KCR, where do I go? And sure enough, he rings me, not word for word, but like pretty much like, Carl, I'm on the M50, do I go through Crumlin or walk us down? <laughs> but then he, then he rang again, and you were sitting there, like, I'm not answering this. <laughs> so he gives it to me. I swear to God, answer the phone, and he goes, Jesus! Where the fuck am I? Not a hello random, nothing, just nothing. I was like, is this fella for real? He's already acting. He was he was lashing it on already, wasn't he? he was... You you were provoking him straight away. You hadn't even arrived in the house, and you you were provoking him <laughs> about finding the address. Ah, <laughs> oh, stop! It's a great one. You're gonna look. You're gonna you're gonna really enjoy it. Um. Solicitor is at the ready. So, um, yeah, so check out Baz soon enough. But Greener Feedback, Prof, one of the most popular, as regards to feedback, probably one of the most popular we've had in a long time. Ever, even. 
Yeah, the figures say it. Anyway, most listened to shows since the Brazzercast over a year ago. It overtook Scully. Yep. Like, it had, it had as many listens as a regular show of ours would within the first day. Mm. So it was like... 12 hours, it broke records in it, the 12 It was hours, one yeah. of those word of mouth things, probably. You know? And, like, our our, fee- our our Twitter was was just bombarded with, with lovely feedback. So, similar to the Brazzercast, wasn't it? It was mostly down to greener. It was... It was just like we caught lightning in a bottle. Yeah, He's some yeah. man. I like that saying. He's fantastic to listen to, and we just we just let him at it. And uh, yeah, like like when when I'm doing interviews here, I'm kind of I'm thinking about the next question and stuff like that. And I'm trying to conscious of time and stuff. So sometimes a little a little too engrossed. So I think I want to listen back to it again, maybe in a couple of weeks, because there was points during that was like, whoa, this is really good. It was labeled fanboy Parsons. That's you, girl. Fanboy Parsons. But yeah, so we have a little bit of feedback. Eamon Mack, Bradley surprised me by signing Green. I didn't like him. Didn't want him back at the club. Bradley made me like him. Tifties made me love him. The man sounds like future management material. Now I don't want him to leave. Unbelievably good interview. I'll be listening to it more than a few times. Chris Andrews TD. After that, the impersonation of Kenny probably means Aaron will have no chance of getting into any Ireland squad or welcomed into Ring's End by Mooner. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, brilliant, brilliant stuff. I was cracking up. He did a few off air as well. Prof, yeah, he did a couple more pro- off air. Remain on the cutting room floor. I was in bits laughing. Um, yeah, like um, Eamon said there, and a lot of people said, the guy just seems like future coach, manage- management material. He just, he just seems embedded in the club and just gets the club and everything. And I think a lot of people said the same thing. He provided a lot of insight into. The, into the dressing room into the club without you know dishing any secrets uh-huh. he's always good that way you know he gives you insight and um, yeah I mean someone told me someone told me it was the best League of Ireland interview they'd heard in a long time so yeah lovely feedback we've uh, poor Dylan Watts someone said <laughs> he's getting out by eggs yeah. oh man Funny enough, he was the only player injured on that night, the night of the Waterford fireworks. I know somebody got hit on the head, but like actually injured was Dylan Watts with an egg. So it was a Waterford, Waterford fan throwing someone, throwing something. But that was never mentioned again. And the Tala game was nearly behind closed doors until it was all returned. Uh, we have uh, Pat Toy Jr. He has the Man Daily podcast every week until October slash November. Well, you'd want to start getting out the sponsor phones from GGS. You should probably edit that out now as well. Just don't give them free publicity. Um, there was also a volume issue with uh, the Greener podcast, wasn't there? Was that that Spotify thing, which is quite strange. Yeah, it was weird. For, what, first one in 185 episodes? Weird, isn't it? Yeah, it was an easy fix. It was just uh, you go down to settings and normalize and you turn that off. And uh, thankfully that did. Thank thank God for our, our listeners in Australia and those on night shifts because they gave us the heads up. Us normal folk. Oh, we know, yeah, yeah. I was so, scrambling to the phone. I know. I was just about to go into work. I was I was googling like, actually it was I think it was Jimbo, who tipped me off, because when he said it worked fine for him on Spotify, I was like, oh, hang on. Props. Then it's, then it's the, not, the, the what was it the the rabbits in the in your head that were the spinning. The light bulb went off. I was like, hang on. If it's not the same for everybody in Spotify, then it's a Spotify setting. And then sure enough it was, yeah. But it was such it was such a first world problem though, wasn't it? It was like I can listen to my podcast fine. 
but just not in the place I'd like. Yeah. So I can't listen to it. Such a fourth world problem, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Keep Murray, York Street Hoops is going back to the start of Tifty's episode one. Keith, if you're listening, let us know how you're getting on. Let us know how many you've gotten through. If you haven't given up on us already. Well, if you heard episode one, you would have heard a couple of robots. Yeah. <laughs> and Oh, man. Remember the profile picture of that? Picture of the scaffold and the flag. Yeah, holding everything up. It <laughs> yeah. actually looked pretty good. We had, uh, on Robert's chat, we had Kieran O'Garman. He said, Out at a wedding in Ashburn. And this appears on the screen. This fella is everywhere. And it was a picture of you, Larish, and Mia in a wedding. Uh, sorry, it wasn't your actual wedding. It was like... No, that was a fake one. You were dressed up for a wedding. We had the drinks. We had the wedding drinks that day, all right? That was the only thing close yeah. to a wedding is what it was. But this is my favourite part uh, in terms of goggle box. <laughs> on the main menu on Sky, you open up the Sky menu and there's a big Ozark ad with the birds... Uh, Jason Bateman and uh, Laura Linney so the the headliners the birds and then just under that the other celebrity couple you and Narish something something <laughs> to aspire to isn't it the birds yeah version media one uh, hopefully we can get like that someday as Barney points out Garrett you're our most famous fan now because Maureen O'Hara has died so both have Logan and we have Parsons Jesus we're scraping the fucking barrel <laughs> That is low. That is low. Uh, yeah. McDara and Owen were on the Pogue McGall podcast pro this book. This is a great one. Really, really good listen. And the two lads just great stuff again, talking all things Rovers. Yeah, even though we we had them on. and Very surprised Owen didn't give his, uh, his crime book a show. I know, plug. yeah. Is he aware that we're, we're planning on... We've only done one so far, I know, but... Uh, Very unhappy now <laughs> with that. Such a good, such a good publication. Someone actually requested more readings of that book. Who was that? <laughs> There's a few people actually. The problem is it's hard to find pages that aren't too morbid for a an upbeat Robbers podcast. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like maybe a lot maybe of pages that could get us clipped. A lot of the pages the are corner. describing murders in grisly detail, and I'm not sure people want to hear that. So I had to find something, you know, build up to it and stuff like that. Um. Yeah. So that was the two lads. And the new home jersey came out the day before Greener cast, so um cracker. Moya I went up and picked one up for Moya actually. We were doing the junior hoops shoot in the stadium. She had a ball doing that on a Saturday. The drone was over, filling them, shaking the flags and it was very 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 well done and she got the new kit. It's a cracker as well. All the little diamonds in around the hoops. Very nice prof. What do you think? Yeah, it's it's retro, isn't it? It's kind of late nineties inspired. And as you say, there's some nice details to it, the gold trim and all that. Uh, people giving out, but the sponsor, that's that's uh, inevitable, isn't it? It, it does look... It what, Robert Duck's back at this stage, Prof, isn't it? Do you care anymore? Not so much I care about the sponsor, but it does look a bit cartoonish, right? It's, it's, it's huge. Yeah, giant orange. But then you look at the away shirt, and it fits in perfectly. Actually, it fits in quite nicely. I think it's ridiculous. It is a huge, huge sponsor. But listen, and uh, they do. Yeah, like the darker green as well. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Really like this jersey. Uh, just as I say, it clashes with the giant orange. Uh, once again, the junior hoops care spoiled. 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 There's no sponsor on their shirts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I might have got one actually. There's no sponsor on hers. Of course, the players have to model these jerseys. Uh, some of them deemed not. As, as modelly as others, you know. Modelly. <laughs> we had that. Sorry, you're not modelly enough. 
Yeah, we had Jack, Danny, and Richie. Picture with the new some set of Nashers. Some set of Nashers. That was three. What were we called? We were trying to think of names for the band. Was it the Whitening Strips? <laughs> there was a few of those, wasn't that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was the New Jersey, and Bradzar, of course, won the SWAI Personality of the Year award. Greener mentioned that when he was here. So um, yeah, I mean, no one else is going to win it. Really, he's been brilliant. So great, great show out for Bradzar. Um, an interview on Buzz.ie Bradzar was was reflecting on the fact that he is Rover's longest serving coach since Code. He said, Carl Royley, oh yeah, just have to throw it in there, club statistician. What? What's in the brackets? Tech club statistician. <laughs> I got promoted, Gar. Is that what you, you have an official title in the programme as well? Apparently I've been promoted to club statistician. We're going to have to get you a jacket with that written on the back of it. <laughs> Text of you today and I couldn't believe it. I've got a few more greys now, I'm still here, yeah. The job at the start that I wanted. I was in the academy when we presented to the board what we felt the club needed to change. The board put me onto it saying, you're the one to do it as you're after presenting, saying what needs to change. They called my bluff. I felt if I didn't take it at the time that a new manager would come in and bring in different players and a different way of doing it. It wasn't long. <clears throat> it wasn't what I felt was needed at the time. Longest ever manager since the 50s. It's an honour. Or I think it's an honour. Anyway. Yeah, so... Um, Interesting parallel. He's longest serving since Paddy Code from 1949 to 1960. And the parallel is both Brazzer and Code were reluctant to take the job. Oh! Prof with the stats. Interesting. Prof with um, self-doubting manager <laughs> facts <laughs> stats. You don't know what I'll come up with. Uh, yeah, so that is it. Anyway, straight and conditioning coach Darren Dillon has had the globe after five years. And this uh, this was a bolt out of blue, wasn't it, at the time? And was nuts just before the start of the season. So Yeah, it did kind of come out of nowhere. Taking applications there. Anyone wants to get their get their, their spoke in, see how they get on. Me well, and the prof are busy. <laughs> when this day and age, people, like, they, they try and find scandal where scandal doesn't really exist, you know? Yeah. Um, he was with us for five years. Um, important part of the backrooms, Ian. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. look, he was clearly very close with the browser and everyone. Although he did rub people up the wrong way as regards... Now, this is just what we've noticed in social media and things like that, is that he would be involved with the the warm-up and he'd be doing coaching drills and things like that. And some people seem to think that he, that wasn't his, his purpose, you know? Well, was it not during the game when he was barking orders from the dugout? People gave out about that. Getting sent off. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brad, yeah, but listen, brother, brother sat right here and told us, if he's saying that, then that's our message. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. So it's it's a big loss, mm. and I think the the issue is now is getting someone in that they trust as much as him, and who's going to buy into their philosophy, and who's going to have have that type of mentality. You know, there's a couple of names been mm. mentioned. If it's a case of he needs to his business needs to be his priority, you know, gym owners, especially during COVID, the yeah, last couple of years, they're not for us, are they? It can't it can't have been easy for gym owners the last couple of years. No. So. If he has to put his business first, that's completely understandable. And he will be missed. I mean, look at all the late goals we got last season. That that can't be a coincidence. No. Like our fitness was was top notch. And I think I think he did a lot of great work behind the scenes, stuff that we don't see, obviously, but he immersed himself in the club, so he'll definitely be missed. Yeah, he'd be massively missed. But when you think about what we've done and how we've transformed ourselves over the last five years, he's been a big part of it. He's been like you said, all those late goals, uh the physique of the players definitely and a, a massive loss so uh, be sure to learn doing. but Packer Martin said it wasn't it Darren that clattered O'Donnell during the Dundalk game on the touchline in full view of the West End man is okay in my book yeah and uh, good news Gar 
we have a replacement lined up. Who have we got, Prof? Uh, Derek Henney. Because <laughs> apparently anyone can do the job. So, Derek, over to you. Uh, I'm sure you'll do a better job than Finney McMahon anyway. I saw that, yeah. So, this is Derek who is... Uh, I think he's Glenn Malore's midfield maestro. <laughs> so, I'm expecting, expecting big things. Uh, so, we're going to move on, Prof. We have Barry Murphy. Um, tell us about this, Prof. Yeah, this is another one taken from the documentary. Uh, by the way, you had a suggestion for the documentary premiere from Sam from the Ultras. He suggested Red Rua South Dublin Arts Centre. Small enough now. 70 yeah. people, but 70 hand-picked people. You know what I mean? That would yeah. be, the, the, you know, be the creme de la creme of Rovers. Nice idea, but uh, I think 70 is too small, yeah. It is. You'd be hoping for a few hundred, <sighs> wouldn't you? But we could do a we could do a Tifty's bus on it and cram in about 120. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. But it's it was a it was a great idea. It's a lovely little venue. It's nice. It's intimate. But yeah. I think we want to do a bit bigger, don't we? So this any suggestions? Throw them our way as well. By the way, any any little cinemas with bigger capacity? Let us know. Anyone with any ideas? So this interview was done back in October. Actually, it was a while ago. It was near the end of the season. Uh, he came over to Kane's house in Crumlin. Uh, it was my birthday. I'd, no rest for the week of Garmy birthday. Even. There you go. Uh, it was actually the week after we beat them at Richmond with the last minute on goal. So we'd opened up a nine point gap. So privately he was saying, he was kind of saying, yeah, he's, it's probably over now. But um, apologies, there is a bit of interference sometimes in my questions. I hadn't heard that in a long time. That, that yeah. noise. That not a noise when you're on the phone, you're putting in a radio. Yeah. I haven't heard that in years. I think it might have been because we were, do you know in the promo we did mm-hmm. for the documentary, we were doing a lot behind the scenes that day. So we had a lot of phones and second cameras. Like Kane was floating around me all the time with his camera. So possibly too many electronic nations there yeah, going. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I tried to edit. I, I edited out some of the worst stuff I tried anyway, but apologies if that gets annoying. Don't buy new earphones. Not good enough, bro. Someone actually bought was ordering new earphones. Aaron Dunn did, yeah. <laughs> because of the greener one, the sound was we so can't low. can't reimburse you for that one, unfortunately. So don't buy new earphones. It's not flying in your ear. Just a bit of bit of noise. Uh, he also started choking up later in the interview. Uh, not emotionally, just he just his voice was gone, and I was like, "Jeez, but he lasted sixty minutes there. Might have to bring on a random GAA goalkeeper at halftime." Yeah, yeah, just to get our hands on him actually. But uh, no, it was a really enjoyable interview. I thought so. This this is the first part. So here's Baz part one covering the years from two thousand five to two thousand and eight. Uh, so Barry, you joined Shamrock Rovers. I think it was two thousand two as a schoolboy. So think back to that time when you when you when you joined the club. Yeah, I had played in the Foil Cup. Um, I think it was under thirteen, under fourteen, and I was at Leicester Celtic at the time, and I was asked as a guest to come up and uh, represent Rovers up in the Foil Cup for um, at that age level. Um, really, Conlon was the manager at the time, and I went up and played in that, and we did well and. I was kind of considering whether to, to make the move to Rovers at that stage, but I went back to Leicester Celtic, my uh, my childhood club, and went there for another year. And then the next season, um, went up to the Milk Cup at Rovers again, asked to be a guest again, and that's when I kind of decided, yeah, this is this is where I need to be. Like so, uh, made the move permanently then to to schoolboy section of Rovers. Then, and what was your rise up to schoolboy ranks like? Yeah, it was kind of 
slow at the start, kind of. Um, I was in and out of the team myself, and uh, another goalkeeper, Adam, were kind of vying for the position at the time, and um, I was kind of in and out. And then I kind of got a run of games where where I did really well, and we did well in the cup and did well in the league that that year, and kind of moved up through the sections then into under 16, under 17, and then kind of at that age, you're kind of looking to whether you're going to make the, the 21 squad, it, it kind of they, they assess kind of that early, whether you're, you're kind of good enough and and moved up, trained a couple of times with Stephen Fennell to the under 21s and and uh, kind of got into into that setup then. No, you were kind of young to know what was going on with, with Tata Stadium, but did you notice the, the shell of a stadium there for those I think four years because construction just totally stalled, didn't it? Yeah, we were actually brought down a couple of times and and shown the the kind of as you said the shell, um, but just kind of the whole uh, aura around Tala and the stadium was kind of building at that stage. We'd every kind of match day morning we'd have been given programs by Robert Coggins in the dressing room. The kind of up at Kiltipper, the 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 shell kind of containers we had as dressing rooms at that time, but we were given programs and. It was all about the stadium and it was always a Saturday morning so that the Friday night match program was always given to us and that's where we kind of, you built up your history and kind of repertoire and knowledge of Rovers and that was always at the forefront, the, the stadium. I don't know if you've been to uh, Rosedown but uh, Rovers have, you know, get a lot of praise for the facilities they have at the moment, their their, their class with the, the, the kids and the whole setup. How would you compare the facilities back then in the sort of the early 90s? <sighs> Black and white. It's. I was actually coaching up there last year with the with the Rovers goalkeepers, and it's top class. I think it it wouldn't be, um, a miss in England, and it it kind of matches any of the academies over there. It's it's top class facilities from the, the kind of observation room where the coaches go in in the morning and look at the cameras and can watch the 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 lads playing and the setups training to actually out and the facilities and the change room and the pitches. It's just top class, and I think us growing up in Kiltipper, it was kind of there was two pitches and whatever one was the better pitch on the Saturday morning was the one you played on and said we had the green containers that didn't really have lights in it so you kind of threw your bags in and, and kind of named your team and we're back out to get changed that's kind of the setup we had but it was it was brilliant then but listen it's a different age now playing football but it's a uh, it's great to see what the lads now uh, have up there now like. and it makes a huge difference to have your own home to have a base doesn't it I mean uh, before you came, I mean, the the players were kind of bouncing around from place to place for for training, and that sort of uh, it, it upsets your your day to day at a club, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think you need you need a heartland. You need somewhere that's a, a focal point, and I think Rovers obviously have that now in in two places with with Roadstone and the stadium. I think it's um, you need that kind of line of sight really that you you can progress from. Just from the the training ground at Rosedown out to to tell up the road to to play your matches, but I think kids coming from all over the country now to join that academies when you walk in and you, you feel like you're you're at a proper club, and I think that's the way it should be, and that'll attract the top players and stop them going abroad. So late two thousand four, uh, Roddy Collins is appointed manager. I think you then started appearing on the bench. Maybe it was at the start of uh, the following season. So what was it like meeting Roddy, and did you get a sense that you would be included in the first team then pretty soon? Not at all. I think um, Stephen Fennell, that's the under twenty one manager at the time, said, "There's a new manager coming in. You've done really well with the twenty ones. Um, he's going to have a look at you." I think, and I think I met Roddy. Um, I trained a couple of times, and I met him in the car in his car in the car park at the Spa Well, 
and uh, I think Roddy said to Stephen Fellow, I think you're trying to get me sacked with you bringing in this five foot ten goalkeeper in to, for me to try and sign. I think you're looking to get me sacked straight away. But met him in the car park and we kind of talked terms. There was no talk of money or anything like that. I think I just kind of talked to my old managers about how I go approach. I was only a kid, like how I approach looking for money and things like that. And I think as soon as I brought that up, it was kind of dismissed straight away. And sure, I wasn't too dismayed by that. I just wanted to play football. So he said, you'll come in and train. So uh, yeah, trained a couple of times and, and was on the bench. Then I think there was kind of, um, uh, it was up in the air about him trying to sign another goalkeeper in from England. Um, I think it was Andy Marriott at the time, but a keeper from England and Russell Payne was, was the goalkeeper at the time. So he said, you come in and learn off him and, and play games with the 21s and, and we'll see how it goes. That's kind of how it started. Like. So obviously uh, results on the pitch that 2005 season were, were pretty rocky, despite it being what fans felt were, were a strong squad. So what do you remember about uh, how things went on the pitch and uh, I suppose early on 2005 before you debuted? Yeah, it was it was a good build up. I think um, it was a good pre season, and I think I think we played Bows in the first game in Daly Mount, and my kind of first introduction. I was I remember being disappointed. I wasn't on the bench that day, and um, I think we walked into the dressing room. We were getting changed, and suddenly a bagpiper walked in and started playing, standing in the middle of the dressing room. I was like, this can't be what football is really like. And Roddy had known this man, and he'd come in and, and started playing the bagpipes while we were all getting changed. And daily went in the away dressing room was tiny as it is, but uh, yeah, it was a strange introduction. But I think we started okay through that match, and then kind of results started to, to taper off a bit, and then pressure kind of grew a bit on on the players. And the lads we had in the team were were excellent individually, but I just think as a team we we just didn't get the results that that we required and and should have had with that type of player like. So in May, Russell departed the club. When did you? When did Roddy tell you that you were going to make your first first team appearance? Um, about ten minutes before the team was named in, in the dressing room. I remember it was Waterford, and I think Russell had had a couple of wobbly games, and it was kind of I could kind of sense a little change in training. I was being more included in set pieces and and formation stuff at the end. And I just thought that was part of my education. I was going to be brought in to kind of learn this side of football, but then. The day before, I was kind of more involved, and then in the change room, um, I was named basically just start eleven, number one, Barry Murphy, and then I remember grabbing my phone and going into the toilet and texting the parents and, and my mate, that's listen, I'm starting, <laughs> come in, they were at games anyway, but yeah, this is this is me starting now, and he kind of just said, listen, go out and do what you've done in, in training and, and in the uh, friendly games, and, and you'll be fine. And a clean sheet, I think, against Waterford. Do you remember much about today? I don't remember it being too action-packed, which was, was, was great for me. But, um, yeah, clean sheet on the day and kind of, I think, rolled into the next couple of games where we, where we did okay and, and, and picked up some points in those games. But, yeah, I think we did all right for, for, for a couple of games. Off the pitch, around that summer, things were pretty chaotic. The club went into examinership. Uh, the fans take over the club. What do you remember about what was going on behind the scenes at that time? Um, I just remember, like as again, as I said at the start, I kind of wasn't the money for me wasn't an issue. I was a kid, I was living at home. It, it didn't matter to me, but I could see lads weren't being paid, and some were getting envelopes here and there, and and kind of missing payments. And there was a lot of talk on the bus about, well, I'm not playing if I if I don't get paid, and and which is which is only fair. It's your job, but I kind of it didn't really bother me. Kind of I just. Was plugging away. I was in a kind of group of young lads that were getting a few quid expenses, and we were just thinking about football. But obviously, for the older lads, it was 
quite hard and probably had a big effect on, on what happened that season on, on the pitch. But I think then kind of halfway through it, we started losing a few players and then lads got added in who were, who were coming in for less money and things like that, which obviously affected the team. Like. Yeah, we lost the likes of Paddy McCart in the summer. Do you remember his hat-trick against Bray? Yeah, he's the, Paddy's the, I think the best player I've ever played with, even in training. He was he was unbelievable. I think his, his hat-trick against Bray, I think he could see Trevor turn around looking to the, the heavens as to, to how he's done it. And I think he's, he scored two against Finn Harps as well. It's a half volley from about 40 yards. It was an unbelievable strike, but that was the type of quality you were losing then. I think Jay Gavin at the back was was a stalwart as well, kind of very good for me, kind of brought me in, talked me through the game. Um, other players down the spine of the team, I think we probably uh, we probably would have been okay had we had we kept them for the rest of the season. And 19, I think you were, was it, so it was a rapid rise for you from the the U team into the first team, into a struggling team, especially after the eight-point deduction, we were down near the bottom. So how did you cope with that? Were you confident? Yeah, I think... The fact that we were kind of struggling, I was getting a lot to do during games and it can kind of be, you get a false sense of, of how well you're doing sometimes because you're losing a game 2-0 and you're making 10 saves, it looks brilliant. Like, But um, I think, yeah, I was I was actually really enjoying it, kind of, off, as I said, the off the stuff, off the pitch stuff wasn't really affecting me. I was I was doing well on the pitch and a couple of young lads were coming through, Paul Malone, Ian Ryan kind of was, was around. Um, there was kind of um, Benny, uh, Benny was there uh, up front, like, and we were kind of just enjoying being around the first team. And there was obviously a few lads still there, um, Mark Henny and things like that, like, and who were very good to us. But yeah, I think, as I said, I think we we probably would have done really well. Well, not really well. We would have we would have stayed in the league by that eight point deduction and and losing the players during the season. And the two other people we've talked to for this documentary are uh, Trevor Malloy and Derek Tracy. So two very experienced players. Uh, would they have been good for you as well? Excellent. I think Trevor was brilliant with me, as was Derek. Um, Trevor kind of gave me the heads up before the Waterford game. I think he, he was kind of, without actually saying it, he kind of said, get your head on now with these set pieces and things like that. So I wonder, had, had Roddy given him an odd to say that maybe throw your arm around him and get him ready for the game? Cause, but he was always excellent. I used to stay out with Trevor after training and do finishing sessions and Mark Henny and things like And Derek was just... Uh, the stalwart throughout the whole thing he was just brilliant he was a man who was organizing stuff off the pitch for the lads and and bringing lads through and he was obviously a rovers rovers hero from the start anyway so it was great to come in and you're looking around and, and Derek Tracy sitting beside you in the dressing room it was phenomenal but he he kind of matched that um expectations that I had going in of what what he'd be like and he, he uh, superseded that so the new board end up suspending Roddy Collins uh late 2005 what do you remember, or did the board speak to the players about why the decision was made? Do you remember that time? I don't think they did. I don't. Um, I, I can't remember a point now where they came in and, and, and told us that it was. I just remember them not being there one day, and then I think it was. I'm not sure whether it's Harry Everson took the session or who took the session, but I remember it being in the papers and things about he was suspended and. and that he wouldn't be involved anymore and then we were kind of waiting to see who was going to come in and take the take the team towards the end of the season like and then Alan O'Neill obviously came in then for, for the playoffs and things but I, I can't remember a point where, where we were told that he was gone it was just kind of he wasn't there anymore and he's a he's not a man you'd you'd uh you wouldn't see around you know so you, you missed the home and he wasn't there like 
you mentioned first meeting Roddy in your car, but in that season, what was your relationship like with him, and what was what was his managerial style? Roddy was excellent with me, to be fair. Bar thinking I was going to get him sacked at the very start, I think yeah, he was really good with me. He was like he let me go out and play. He give me he wasn't too harsh on me if I made a mistake, which he could easily be because you're in a relegation battle. It wasn't a um, a breeding ground for young players. It was we needed points and we needed them quick. Like so, but he was excellent with me and and kept me in the team if I made a mistake and and kind of um, pushed me through. But um, Milo as well, the goalkeeping coach, was, was a really big part of um, me doing well that year and bringing me through. And his relationship with Roddy was kind of, he was the middleman. So anything that Roddy needed to say, he kind of went through, went through Milo as well. So he was really good for me. Adam O'Neill was a, an interesting choice, like a hugely decorated career, but he'd been out of the game for 10 years. So yeah. what did the players make of his appointment uh, early on? I think... Probably the the thought behind it was that you're you're putting a, a legend in and the lad's going to rise and meet the meet that kind of occasion, which is we all did. We did a couple of sessions with him out in in the um, DAUL and he was really good. And I'd known him from the under twenty one setup. I got a call up that year in for the under twenty ones, um, and he was the goalkeeping coach. Uh, I think maybe the next year, um, but I think it was a hard one to come in for for two games really to. To try and turn things around, um, I'm not sure if Roddy had been kept in would have been would have been better that way to kind of keep us up. He would have known what kind of players he needed. But then you're looking for an instant bounce, which was needed as well, so you could see the top process on the board. Some of the fans we've spoken to have pointed to a game against Waterford in terms of atmosphere. I think it's still on YouTube, but it was an incredible pyro display. I don't know if you remember this, but. Do you remember that as a player seeing that on the pitch? It was phenomenal. I remember it. I think it took about 10 minutes to clear the pitch after the display. I think um, it was weird because they kind of made Daily Mount their own, the Rovers fans, during it. Like, I think the Kaiser Chiefs used to be blasting out. So I predict the Royal before the games. And yeah, it was phenomenal. I think we'd gone down to Waterford and got a great result. Uh, Kieran Foley scored a couple of goals or a goal. And then we kind of got ourselves a little bit out of, out of that kind of... Uh, area the relegation zone and then suddenly we were pulled back in with, with a loss to Waterford again like so but I remember that that day like really well it was, it was unbelievable yet yeah, as I said it took a couple of minutes to clear the pitch. So the two-legged playoff with Dublin City um, I think you get injured at half time of the first leg so uh, give us your memories of that day. Yeah I think we started well um, and then we got a setback and I conceded a goal and then I've just come from across and I've rolled my ankle and, and torn my ligaments in, in my right foot. And I think we were kind of, with John Blake on the bench, he'd kind of just come in to kind of help out to be a second goalkeeper. And he, he'd gone in and then I think Trevor got a goal back and then we conceded again. And we just never looked like scoring in, in that leg. And then, and then I think the second leg was in Tolga Park. I thought, we're going we're gonna to get something here. Like if we can't go down, we're, we just, we can't let it happen. And then, we just didn't turn up on the night. I think we had a couple of chances. I'm not even sure who was in goal for us that night. I think there was an ex-GA goalkeeper in, in goal for us. Um, and having not played for a couple of years and gone back in and played for, for Pat Stadium the other night, um, having not played for a couple of years, you really feel it. And you're, you're totally out of out of position and out of mind when you're, when you're going into play. So yeah, it was, I'm sure it was a strange one for him going into play in the second leg of a playoff. Uh, Want to keep the club up. But I remember Derek scored and... Um, but yeah obviously it wasn't enough on the night to keep us up 
Have you ever heard Alan O'Neill talk about him trying to sign a goalkeeper for that second leg? Like, he sat in his office all day. He rang virtually everyone in the country trying to find a goalkeeper to keep robbers in the division. It's just, when you hear it put like that, it's remarkable, isn't it? It's unbelievable. i never heard that now. It's just, I remember him coming into me and my ankle was a balloon and he was like, don't rule yourself out of the second leg. And I think the second leg was four days later or something like that. I was like, I won't, I'll be back. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be all right. Like, just a childish mentality, I suppose. And, um, I think I was on crutches then for a couple of days and then I tried to, to even walk and, and it blew up again with foot and I was like, that's me ruled out anyway, but I never knew that, no. I wonder who was on the list. So I presume you were in the ground anyway the night we were relegated, so describe the the scenes and the emotion you saw around you. Um, yeah, we were in the stand, um, myself and a few of the younger lads and we were watching it and I think it just got too nerve-wracking so we went to the underground bar in Talca Park and sat in front of a screen and I think there was about just four of us huddled in the corner kind of in a dark corner just hoping that something's going to happen here like that someone's going to pull us out of the mire and obviously never happened but I just remember then when it was all over just disbelief sheer disbelief and kind of walking out into the pitch and seeing grown men around you crying and and it was kind of just sheer desperation really it just felt like you couldn't get any lower really and as a player I think it all just hit you. It was a massive weight on the shoulders of everybody. I think, um, even as a young lad, you felt like that the kind of the history behind Rovers and this is your part of a team that's the first ever to be relegated. It was a horrendous feeling. What was the vibe like in the ground during the game? Because I've heard that there was a lot of fans of of shells and pats and bows at the ground. So, do you remember the, the vibe of the game itself? Yeah, I I think walking through it, there was nearly a talk of them wearing their own scarves going to the game as well. It was. It was just a, a nasty kind of vibe around us. I think that just shows you how big Rovers are. When I don't think that's, that would ever happen where Rovers would go to a game if there was bows or pats in the relegation battle. I don't think that would happen. But, um, yeah, it was just a, a horrible feeling, really. And then t- people taking pleasure in it obviously didn't help. But, um, listen, we, we got ourselves into that position and it was, it was, it was us that uh, had brought the, the club to that point. Do you remember fans saying anything to you and the players coming off the pitch or even in the, the days that followed? The fans were really good to me, to be fair. Um, I don't know whether it was the same for the older lads, um, but no, they were really good to me. I can remember them coming up and saying, hopefully you're here with the club next year and, and you're back to try and get us back. And um, I didn't hang around too long. I just wanted to get out of the situation. I remember sitting in my car for about half an hour afterwards and just seeing people floating by. Um, it was a horrible feeling, but one that I kept with me that kind of spurred me on for next season. So that year you were player of the year, senior and young player of the year, which uh, I'm not sure has been done before, I don't think it has been done before, but um, given the season it was, was there any sort of uh, ceremony or, or anything that year? Um, it was, I think it was in the Goat, um, the Goat pub um, a couple of weeks after and I think it was a fairly low-key affair, it was, it was a big deal for me and my family to to win it obviously but um, when you put it into perspective of the end of the season I just swapped it every day for whenever eight or ninth position in the league and staying in the league but uh, personal accolade for me was brilliant it was it was really good and um, just to feel kind of myself that I belong in this league and I could do well in it was, a, was excellent for me but obviously it was uh, diluted by the fact that we didn't relegate it. And given the players we talked about earlier Paddy McCarthy he wasn't there long but Trevor Malloy, Derry Tracy to be chosen by the fans above all those great players must have been an honour for you. Absolutely, yeah. Um, as I said, I had a lot to do in, in kind of from May on. There was a lot of games where 
we were kind of under the caution. I'd made a, a lot of saves and things of like that. So I think that gets kind of uh, highlighted more maybe than if you were winning matches 1-0, the goalkeeper wouldn't get as much. It'd be someone further up the pitch. But yeah, as I said, I was d delighted to get it. Like, But um, yeah, something I look back on finally uh, in that way. So Pascoli comes in as manager. I think he only retained three players from the from the entire squad. It was a totally fresh fresh start bar you, Derek Tracy, I think one other player. Uh, so what did was the first thing Pat said to you about next season? The first thing he said to me was throw my uh third year award on the bin. That's basically what he said to me. We met him up in, in Tala and he said uh my ankle was that bad, I was still on crutches at the time and he said, um, yeah, that's the your player of the years awards mean nothing now. The club have been relegated. So he said you need to get that mentality now where you you want team honours and, and get the club back to where it's belong where it belongs and, and it's gonna be starting fresh here, uh, fresh now, fresh late. And uh yeah, so I think there was only two other players kept on as well, so it really wasn't a new era for overs, but it was kind of a, a rude awakening to someone who's come in now and has no real um, history of what you've done for the club. It's just looking forward now. That's that's what, what he wanted and it was kind of eye-opening for myself, but it's something that the, the club definitely needed. It needed a purge from, from the bottom up and um, that's exactly what we got. Yeah, the fans have consistently said the same things to us, that Pat Scully was the right man at the right time. He had done well at Kilkenny. He was a strong personality. He seemed like the right choice to, to get us up. So what was everybody's first impressions of him as a manager? Yeah, authoritarian, um, in charge. I wouldn't say dictatorial, but he was the man in charge. He knew who he was, he was running the show. And I think he was from little things, like if you weren't wearing the right socks in one of the sessions during the week, you weren't playing on a Friday. It was simple things like that. And I think that's what was needed, that kind of... Um, overlook over the whole thing because it does matter. Like you, you need that sort of discipline. I think that was lacking probably the year we got relegated. I think with the players we had, we shouldn't have been. If that discipline was there, we wouldn't have been. Um, but he brought young, hungry players in. Aidan Price, a couple of lads from from Kilkenny, which he'd obviously known and bought into his philosophy. And it was up to lads then to, to either buy into it or or to to leave. And I think that's what happened. A couple of lads left and and didn't like the the kind of regime. It was. We were very fit. I think from day one you came back and we did fitness tests and you were told whether you were meeting the, the criteria or not and then you had a certain amount of time to, to reach that level or you were gone and that included the goalkeepers. Uh, the first game was, we were back in Talca Park, first game was a home to Dundalk which I think was the biggest crowd in the country that day including the, the, the top division so the fans certainly came out to support us. And it was an important game as well to start off uh, with a positive result, wasn't it? Absolutely. And I think we went 1-0 down. And there was kind of a murmur in the crowd. It's, it's The first division, as you see now, with shells and things, you can be up and down. But it's one of those leagues, if you don't bounce back straight away, you could be there for a while. And then you kind of the revenue doesn't come in. <clears throat> to kind of afford players that you, that you need to get back up and you can you can be caught down there for, for a number of years. But we went 1-0 down that game. I think we scored late then. I think it was Jamie Duffy and Willie scored, I think. I think he scored the winner or the other way around. But last couple of minutes, I think we're still 1-0 down. We turned around fairly late. So it was um, a brilliant start to the year. And it, it kind of introduced the new era of Rovers and the new players to the, to the fans and the fans to the players it was you were at the a big club now and that was the first real introduction for a lot of players and it was the, the start of 
of things rolling really for Rovers. Yeah, when that final whistle went, final whistle went, did everybody kind of feel like, okay, we can bounce back up in one go here? Definitely. Um, I think it, Dundalk and ourselves were touted as the favourites going into the, the the start of the league, and to get one over immediately on what was to be your your rivals in the year was was huge for us. And <clears throat> when you look at the way the league ended. I think we won it by a point in the end, so obviously it turned out to be a huge three points, even though it was the first game of the season. We actually docked three points as well, weren't we? It was yeah. an ineligible player. Paul Shields, yeah, against Sundock, I think. Um, I remember being devastated about that. I remember going to kind of like a, a an arbitration for sports tribunal. I think he was just registered at the wrong time or there was some, some issue with it anyway, but that three points is hugely harsh, especially when you look at how close the league was at the time. I remember thinking the stuff we're putting in during the week and the pressure we're under being put from the manager for everything to get every little point and then to come and take three points was really harsh, I think, um, on the players. But something wasn't done behind the scenes right. And I remember being angry about it at the time as well, um, thinking like how hard it is to get three points and, and you're costing us three points for nothing here. Um, but I think it fired us on a bit, it spurred us on and, and Chelsea was excellent then for, for us for the rest of the season. So he nearly sacrificed the three points for, for what he did for the rest of the year. But um, I remember at the time being, being pretty angry about it. I don't know how into your stats you are, but uh, that season, 24 clean sheets in 35 league games. I mean, as a goalkeeper, you've got to be proud of that one. Yeah, really proud. Yeah. Um, I think we had an excellent back four, which is fairly stable every week as well. Um. I think Ray Scully came in, or Ray, Ray Scully, sorry, came in and out of the centre half with Aidan Price, and we had Gerald O'Brien and um, Clarkie at the left back as well. We we did next and kind of settled back five. Um, I think we only conceded thirteen goals the whole season, and I think five penalty saves in the season as well that year. But yeah, as a team, we were we were kind of on the front foot, and kind of from that end of it, we kind of defended from the front. So. A lot of games, there wasn't too much to do, but yeah, really proud of that. He saved one on the last day of the season in uh, Cove, was it? And also the famous one against uh, Gareth Farrelly in the Cup. So if you had to pick a favourite penalty save from that year? Oh, that one, definitely the, the Farrelly one. I think it was pivotal in that game. I think we the first game, obviously, we were on the back foot. We conceded early. Um, I think... Got back into the game, Tyke scored a penalty, great penalty, and then Castle had a great chance in the 84th, 85th minute to win it for us. Missed, went to a replay, and then obviously that game, Castle was brilliant and scored two great goals. And then I think we were 1 0 up, and there was, was a penalty given. I just remember thinking, he's going here, I just I know he's going here, and getting a hand down to the right and, and making the save. And I think Castle scored about 10 minutes later again and sealed the win. And, <clears throat> I remember seeing Pat Scully running up and down the sideline. He'd been sent off in front of the Bowes fans celebrating and then running up and down the stand. Like, but yeah, it was a brilliant night. And kind of after the year before where kind of we weren't going into the Bowes games on level par, I think it was great to, to finally get one over on them, really, with a good team, especially in their, their home ground. Fans still talk about that one, don't they? As you said, to get one over our rivals, a division above us, it was a big deal at the time. Yeah, huge. And obviously the pressure was on Bowes at the time. We were a first division club, doing well in the first division with, with new players. But pressure was all on, on them. And I think they they were on top of us in the first leg. But once we got it to the second leg, I thought we did really well. And um, obviously, I think he lost his job then after that, Farley. I think the pressure was really mounted on him. And we kind of pushed on then. 
spurred us on in the league as well um, to go and finish it but obviously got knocked out in the, in the semis by Pats but um, yeah kind of pushed on and, and brought lads to thinking well like we're capable of playing at that level um, I, I gave you your, your clean sheet stats there it seemed like that team the foundation was was defence keeping clean sheets but at the same time Pat went through a lot of outfield players that season he brought in the likes of Andy Myler mid-season Pod Jammon made his debut late on so a lot of notable names strikers from that season so what players I suppose would you pick out that made an impact that year? Yeah I think Park came in did really well um, Andy Myler was just a different calibre of, of player kind of he was an old school striker who you knew was going to bring goals and I think that kind of brought us to another level and, and brought us over the line really I think even in the, the last home game we beat Finn Harps 4-0 I think he scored a couple of goals crucial goals and I remember he was there was a ball over the top and the keeper came out and it was a race between him and the keeper to get to the to the ball and I just thought how slow the goalkeeper must have been because Andy got there first and, and scored but kind of uh, set the ball rolling I think we won 4-0 in that game but he was just brilliant to have off the pitch as well kind of he'd been there before and you can set yourself up to be in a good position in the league, but it's really getting over the line, and you need players like that who've been there and done it before, who who drag you kind of to the finish line. I added up one day, thirty-seven players Pat went through in two thousand six. <laughs> Were you ever in the dressing room, kind of scratching your head at the amount of turnover going on here? Not really, because he'd set a stall out early. As like like I said, he bought into what he was doing and. Lads that did buy into it knew that this was, was going to get us promoted. It was going to get us to win the league. So if you didn't buy into it, you weren't going to be there long. And he let you know that. So it was it was up to the players to, to either buy in or, or ship out. Paul Jammond went on to have a great career in England. Um, do you remember his first goal? Uh, it was in Baddy Buffet at 1-0. I do. Header, was it? into? I think it was whipped in from the right and he got his head onto it. And he kind of announced himself onto the stage. And I think that's what a tough place that is to go, Baddy Buffet. And... I think we did well against them at home, but a 1-0 win, a scrappy, rainy night up there, kind of, it kind of showed us that we had the, the kind of, uh, the fibre to go and win in places like that where, where it really mattered and there's the three points you kind of need, those type of places to go and win a league and, and Podge obviously announced himself then that night. Uh, the final day, I mentioned your penalty save, was a one all. we needed a draw to seal the title. Do you remember the the scenes, the fans kind of celebrating the the win and promotion at the end of that night? Yeah, um, I think I remember that morning. Actually, we were in. Um, he was the Radisson Blue and Cove, and I think we had the league wrapped up kind of the the night before, or the week before in Finn Harris. We just needed a point to win it that night. We didn't want to be going home and Dundalk were playing on the Saturday night to kind of celebrate on the bus or the next day somewhere and, and win the trophy that way. After a long season, you don't want to win it like that. And um, I remember being in the hotel that day and all the lads were doing their hair and everything. There was hair straighteners and all out at that stage. And I remember Pat Scully walked into the to the bus and Pat Scully lost the plot. And basically said, this is not what this is about. Like, like you've gone all year winning matches the way you've done it as, as a group. And now you're going out kind of showing off here now. This is not the way we do it. So we went out and kind of that mentality was brought into the first half. And I think we played well. Um, I saved the penalty and then conceded a goal kind of laid on across the kind of went deep in it and a header at the back post and then we were pushing for the for the leveller then the last couple of minutes I think it just bounced the tie and scored a great goal. And I can remember just running around. I think I jumped into the crowd behind the goal in Coleman's Park, small little stadium, but there was lads on the pitch and the game still wasn't over basically like the sixty six World Cup for England. But um 
yeah it was just a brilliant time and then you're just dying for the, the whistles to be blown so you, so you can celebrate with everybody kind of a hot topic at the moment is the the lack of coverage by RTE of uh, League of Ireland games back then TG4 kind of chipped in a lot didn't they they showed a lot of our games uh, I think that one notably the, the cup win and that loan so TG4 they showed a lot of our games back then didn't they yeah I think yeah they showed I think they showed both both games or definitely the first one in the cup um definitely showed that night in the Barry Park lashing rain and but yeah like that's like the product was there the place was packed the the games were really good it just when you pick and choose your matches the way they're doing at the moment it's you're going to get some duds but when you have a consistency of of putting uh, matches out you're going to get the good games on eventually like and obviously the stadiums fill up then as well but I think they were really good back then TG4 their coverage I think there was the Monday Night Football version of it I think at the time as well there's no even highlights package now like so it was a good time for for promotion for the league 2007 we surprised people didn't we We made an excellent start to the season and I think even going into the last six seven games we were kind of hanging up there in the top three so what do you remember from from that season yeah we started really well I think it was that league was every team was really good when you look at the players Cork had Theo Donovan's players like that Derry great players um, Bows, Shells, everyone. There was there were proper teams up there. There was six, seven good teams, and I think we were challenging Trotter the whole way until maybe the last seven or eight games. I think at one point we were kind of a couple of points off the top, and then we kind of European spot was nearly guaranteed at that stage. We we done really well, and then we just tapered off. I don't know. I'm not sure what what to put it down to, but we kind of fell away. I think we finished sixth or seventh. Then in the end, at the end of that season, I think. From where we'd been and the amount of games left, it was a really poor finish to the season. But yeah, we started really well. Not not to blame you or anything, but I think the turning point was a three 0 defeat in Bray. We went down to nine men. Uh, yourself was was red card. Do you remember that red card? Yeah, uh, ball over the top, and I think the striker I'd come out and the striker had flicked it, and just an instinct reaction put my hand up and a straight red. Damien Hancock was was the ref. I'd known well, kind of from Ramway area, but. Yeah, he had no choice and yeah, I think we were really poor that night and probably went on a run of bad results after that, yeah. I'm not sure if it's 2007 or eight, but there was a game against Sligo, I think it was a cup game, uh, beaten 3-2. You suffered a serious injury, play was stopped for about 15 minutes, so uh, can you tell us what happened in that? Yeah, uh, yeah, the cup game I think it was um, just a true ball. I'd come kind of out to the edge of my box to pick it up and... Usually I'd slide out sideways, but went out kind of head first this time and the defender was between me and the ball and he was pushing the back and his knee caught the top of my head and kind of hyperextended my neck, pushed it down and I don't really remember anything else by that. Kind of, I just woke up looking through the grass. That's basically all I can remember. Um, not kind of knowing where I was and not being able to move, which was terrifying. Um, I can remember just shouting, nothing was happening. I felt like the game was still going on around me um, at the time. But yeah, just kind of looking through the grass, waiting for somebody to, to come and help you, which was pretty terrifying at the time. But thankfully, it all worked out in the end. Yeah, I heard Lee Desmond on the podcast recently talking about his own uh, experience with the, the seizure. But uh, what was the reaction of your teammates and your family and friends? Were they extremely worried for you? Yeah, um, yeah, with Lee, I've witnessed it myself now with Lee, but um, being on the the other end of it, um, yeah, it's, it's horrific. Like, I think at the time, the John's ambulance were pretty slow to get on at the time. I think 
it took about 15 minutes to, to get me up on the, on the stretcher and get me out. I think it's probably something that could be looked at in the league, the, the reaction times. I know some of them are voluntary, but then at least we looked at from, from a higher level that they aren't voluntary because it's people's lives on the line at the end of the day. Like it, It's not to be dramatic, but an injury like that, or at least could, it, the difference between professional and amateur could be the difference between saving somebody's life or, or their ability to walk again. And um, I remember being out for... I think it was about six weeks after that, a really bad uh, neck injury. But yeah, thankfully at the other end of it. There was another game against Sligo, uh, I think it was 2014, where you clashed against the post. Um, and I, I believe you suffered a concussion. I remember in an interview which you said you don't think you remembered much of of some of that game even. So was that another scary incident? Yeah, it was kind of a, it was a weird one. It was a ball kind of crossed in and Danny North got a header and it kind of was running across the goal and I, I got a block on my leg and I kind of fell awkwardly and kind of turned and hit my head off the post and again, kind of blacked out. That was it kind of. And the game was still going on around me and Neil Doyle was the ref at the time. Obviously didn't see what was, was happening and the Sligo uh, striker missed a sitter put it over the bar I think but uh, again kind of I don't know yeah it's just it was a weird feeling I kind of came around again and then I kind of got up and got back into the kind of where I was and um, but looking back in the video you can I think you, there's a video you can even hear the, the clash of the, the head off the post but I felt fine then to, to kind of continue and I think there was a young lad on the bench I think Connor was on the bench at the time um, I kind of felt that like I needed to play if I had the ability to play on and I needed to play on and kind of things maybe were different then where the decision would be taken out of your hands now whether you're playing on or not um, um, I felt okay to had a bit of a gash over my eye but other than that I think I felt okay to play on and, and did so and got the, the win in the end Yeah like you say nowadays especially when it comes to head injuries the player he'll want, to, he'll want to go on no matter what but probably the manager should be and the physio should be making that decision Yeah I think it should be taken out of the manager's hand the manager is going to want you to, to play like player safety is obviously paramount but again the manager wants to keep his job and wants to, to get results and he wants the best players on the pitch and I think um nowadays there's probably independent doctors at games as well that will probably have that call maybe like the like in rugby you'll have that head injury analysis kind of you probably don't have time to go off the pitch and have that especially as a goalkeeper but decisions need to be taken out of your hands because obviously you're going to want to play on if you're you're lucid enough and, and able enough to play but obviously there could be underlying issues going on if you do play on so back to how's nice uh, we spoke about Pascoli and the kind of personality he was another strong personality Stephen Rice yeah um, I don't remember too much about what actually went on with the two of them I can remember uh, it was a training session and I think there was a falling out between Patton and Stephen obviously and Dave Campbell was uh, was also in there I think he was kind of a number two or three to Pascoli at the time and they had an argument and basically he was told to go and train on his own and um, Stephen obviously wasn't happy with that strong enough personality but I think it had stemmed from we'd been called up to the Irish under 21 or under 23s at the time myself and a couple of other players and I think there was a kind of Pat Fenham was a manager I think there was a sentiment around some of the clubs that they didn't want the current manager being in charge of an Ireland team that had a representative uh, element to it from the league and I think at the time we were asked to pull out of, of the Ireland team and that was never going to happen. I'd represent Ireland at any level. The game of curves out there, I'd represent Ireland for us. That was never going to happen from from my point. And I think Stephen felt the same. And 
I think he, he was open then to, to criticism if his performances weren't up to scratch after that or, or whatever happened between themselves. Um, I'd kind of had um, my uh, stall set out that I was playing and I think Jerry O'Brien was playing. We No matter what was happening, we were going to be playing the game and I think uh, Stephen was the same, but I think there was obviously issues between himself and Pat other than that as well and that kind of escalated after that and led to him being uh, kind of moved out of the team. I also talked to Pat Flynn about this uh, 2008 season. Already he was sorry becoming a bit of a cult here with the fans, wasn't he? Yeah, ah, Flynn is brilliant. Like, um, he brings so much to a team. Like, I think he's so underestimated as a player as well, how good he actually is. Because I remember playing, going up through um, youth football as well. There was always this centre-half playing for Joey's, who was excellent. Like, um, we'd be kind of He'd be picked out as a player when you were coming up against him. And then I didn't realise then later... On looking back through those years, that was Pat Flynn they were talking about. Like that was I don't remember playing against him, but I just remember this tall centre half. But then playing with him now, like or at that at that time, he wasn't tall at all. We'd obviously all grown up and been the same size, but he was had that quality obviously from from being in England. But what he brought to the team off the pitch as well was he was just phenomenal. I remember like some of the stories with with Michael O'Neill and things, um, him going onto the pitch and we were winning one or two nil and. Been told just go on, keep the ball, don't do anything reckless. Like, and then two minutes later, Flynn's walking back off the pitch, going, Sorry, gaffer, like, you know, after being sent off. Like, and Michael O'Neill called him Hannibal Lecter and things like he was brilliant, just but just a great lad because you, you kind of um, you put up with that kind of side of his game because if you took that aggression away from him, he wasn't half the player he was with, with it. Like, I don't know if you've heard uh, Joey and those commentary. Uh, in recent weeks as dividing opinion but uh, he had a little loan spell with us in 2008 and it was the Joey and Doe show 3-0 win over Cork where he just ran the show yeah I remember he was phenomenal I remember just seeing him training and obviously from from watching him for years in the league just thinking what a player he was he was one of the talisman of the league and and to have him in the team I know we've been to a few clubs and probably Rovers got him at the at the latter end of his of his abilities, but he was uh, he was just brilliant to have around, just that quality. But you could see he still had us like he was touching. Again after training, we'd I'd be there for half an hour with him doing free kicks after training, and he'd be burying me like the whole time, like he'd knock the confidence out of you. But just what a, what a man to have around, and, and uh, it's good to have him still involved at the league. Yeah, so that was Baz, and uh, giving some honest and good insight mm. into into right. No one has a bad word to say about Roddy. No. Probably the obvious, but yeah, I found that like I from that team in the documentary, I interviewed Baz, Trevor Malloy, and Derek Tracy. I think the players seem to have a good lot of time from it's just maybe the management, so and they, they all spoke positively of them. Uh, the fans, the majority said, said good things about them. Obviously, it was a bit of a mess towards the end of 2005. Um, but yeah, I mean. I was actually expecting some some people to come down hard on him, but it didn't really didn't really happen that no, way. There was actually a fun story from Dunster. Remember, I interviewed Dunster upstairs in the Four Provinces that day. We were going away. I can't remember where we were going on the way bus, and he told a good story how John Byrne was on the board that at that time when the, when the fans took over. So he was one of the people who made the decision to suspend Roddy and ultimately sack him. And then he said that John was going into either the FEI or the RTE headquarters one day and he saw Roddy coming in at the same time. 
and John was just just after sacking him, and John was like, "Oh, fuck, what do I say here? This is gonna be awkward as fuck." And then Roy just comes over, he goes, "How are you, John?" Just walks in. That's it. No, no, yeah, no avoiding him or nothing. There, like he, he's just fucking. He's one of them, isn't he? But yeah, interesting here, Baz from the 2006 First Division. We we covered that a lot with Scully, didn't we? And the fallen the the Scully versus Rice or thing. I yeah, think, I the, think he provides a bit of context. The there. international side of things. Yeah. Do you reckon that was an issue? I think so. If if that's the case, and Scully didn't want these young lads to to have some sort of international <coughs> career, I'd probably agree with the players there. And I mean, you're not going to pull mm. out a squad, are you? Purely because yeah. your manager tells you that because of what reason. And I don't think him having you pull out of a squad is him looking out for your career either. So the under twenty three squad, looking back now, it was a bit, of, a bit of a nothing, wasn't it? Because it didn't go anywhere. But maybe at the time, like Baz thinking, I'm being called up by Ireland here. This is, this does mean something. Uh, so I don't blame yeah. him for wanting to go and play. But ah, you're not going to turn it down. Like if you no. get called up to the twenty threes camp, no matter what, you're going to go. Yeah, oh, that's an experience. Could put me in some sort of window. Yeah, definitely. I remember Pat Devlin was made manager of that team before, and then he he said he ended up regretting taking the job. Did he? He, he said he thought it was a token gesture. Oh, right. yeah. It didn't last long anyway. Well, I think Fenlon was in charge when Baz was playing that game. Yeah. Yet, so we move on now to Andy Lyons. Prof, he made his first appearance. I was at this one. Took in a couple of minutes in a Rover short in the 3-0 pre-season win over Wexford at Rollstone a couple of weeks ago. Ida Omaku, Conan Noon and Oshin Ham with the goals. The Hoops beat 3D United 3-0 at Rollstone on the same day. Green and Mandroyu on the score sheet plus an old goal. I have to say... Podcast uh, bump. Sean... Never Ca- fails, Yeah, girl. that's it. You get on the podcast, score goal. Um, Sean Gannon looks lethal at the minute. Just the way he advances with the ball from that centre-half position. I'm, lo- I'm really looking forward to seeing him this play this year. He just looks so useful, you know. You can do something mm. with it every single time. Conan Noonan looks very good. A young guy called John Ryan, left wing back. I don't think he, he got. Put, I think he's a left left four mm. on the left side. Anyway, have you seen he, any of Sean Carey yet? No, but I'm hearing very very good things. Very very good things about him. That's from you know as you walk around, you're chatting away to people on the sideline. But uh, John Ryan, excellent excellent player. Excellent left left four, really really composed, really impressed me. Against Wexford, I'll be I'll be a but it's a uh, it was yeah, it was a good display. Yes, so that was it, prof. A little bit of a uh, little bit of magic in the road, Some some lovely goals. Um, the squad photo shoot, uh, nine a.m. on a Saturday morning. Can we sack the board, please? Sometime soon. Listen, some of us need a lion. Nine a.m. on a Saturday. On a Saturday. Well, the reason was the friendly game was moved from twelve to eleven. And the players were all going, travelled up to Galway in the same day. But you have to look good in photos, like still. Saturday. <sighs> Sorry, no, no, <laughs> not a chance, not a chance. Me and Robert in the Galway hooker, milling a breakfast. Um, and if you notice the photograph with the members and the players, uh, Joe's got in beside Pigo. That can't be a coincidence. Probably grilling them. Like, why'd you leave Crumlin? Well, you know. Oh yeah, did he move out Crumlin, or did he stay in Crumlin? He's moving out. Yeah, he's gone. I thought he was sticking in the hotbed. I have to think of someone else. Just when he moves in right next to Joe's. Is there a coincidence there? <laughs> in the bushes. Hey, you in the bushes. Yeah. So there was the photograph with the players, management and members. There was the the annual photograph of the team with the trophies. And Gary, it was a 10-year anniversary. 
of Stephen Kenny refusing to be photographed for the league and the Santander Cup trophies because mm. he didn't win them. Remember that? Yep. Oh my god. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. Other notes we had a Richie Tell mannequin had to be brought in because Richie couldn't be there himself. Very lifelike, I thought. <laughs> How did you get the arms to move? They put the uh, put the, the strings on it. <laughs> uh, yeah. We had the usual poses and goal celebrations, which will will pop up on Twitter when we score goals and stuff. Uh, now bowling one like Joey last year. Oh yeah, yeah. Which could mean something. Hopefully, else. a few interesting ones that'll pop up. Yeah, so we beat Bray one 0 and tell it with an item out a Maku goal. So once again, Oidmo is looking good. He was uh, he was gliding around the Rollstone when I was there. He looked very very good, just gliding around, skinning people. So really really look forward to seeing Oidmo Maku getting stuck in the tally. Would you start him on Friday? I don't I don't think I can. No, I can't. It's a tough one. It really is because it's a to me like this game is. Oh, it's it, it's a good. Warm up for the for the league, but it's I, good, I think it, I want to go all out in this. And you, do you know what? You might have changed my mind there. It's a glorified friendly, but we want to lose. You want we want, there's going to be a good crowd, and uh, yeah, you want to like we haven't we haven't seen Rovers in how many months? So I mean, for that might, reason alone, we're all looking forward to. It. You might have changed my mind here, Prof. I'm getting out the sharpie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you might. You might. And like I said, there was Galway away. On the same night, and obviously, Garrett, no one on this podcast would travel all the way to Galway. Couple of reasons for a pre-season friendly in torrential rain with no roof, <laughs> so we don't have a report in this game. We weren't on right, our own. Garrett? We weren't on our own. Hang on, you went to this game. Um, it was only on the road. We were going down. <laughs> we said we popped down. We just happened to be in Galway anyway. That was a good crack. Um, Fahey's Field, Mervy United's ground. Remember them? Good little setup, yeah. Good little setup that they have. And- Funnily enough, we were chatting away to Galway fans to sound and um, lovely fellas just chatting about how they feel for the coming season. They're not mad about coffee, a style of football. And, um, I'll keep uh, I'll keep their opinion of Conor Cairns to myself. <laughs> no, but um, they were uh, talking. We were talking about the '94. I think Rob Ravel was talking about the '94 final, and then literally Johnny Glynn just walked by. Just as he was talking about your man who got the winner. Oh, 91 final. Yeah, 91 yeah, was yeah. it? Yeah, just, just as he, the fellow who got the winner, just as we were talking about Mark <laughs> Boy, he stuck his head in and he had a little chat with him. So, um, yeah, that was Probably it. couldn't wait to bring it up again. We just ended up back in the pub. He said 70 minutes we were gone. Mm-hmm. Got chatting to Ray. Big scrap of half time. That was the highlight. And then that's bang, <laughs> back into the pub. Was this the one where Manus was the only sub? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was the only sub there. Were, yeah. were you hoping to get, That's get, what we're get thrown on? They might throw us on there. Throw us <laughs> in a fullback. The 15's got a game. So maybe maybe yeah. you and Carl Curran's like, good for a red card anyway. You always get away with a fullback, don't you? I love the picture of... Uh, I don't think you took it. I think Rob Lavelle took it. Just a picture of you at that game on the pitch. Uh, lashing rain. No roof. Pre-season friendly. And then... Almost a second later in the group chat, Stafford's cousin puts up a pick from the San Siro for the Milan Derby, and you look at them side by side and like, I think he got the better deal out of this levels, one. There's levels to this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't really, I don't do friendlies much myself now. I don't think I've been to one in a few years. It was just a piss. Like honestly, yeah. it was. It was just a piss. So we ended up in Galway. We went down early, got some little hostel, some little basic hostel down, and. 
snoozy snoozy mm. snoo or what was it sleepy dreamy nighty snoozy snooze hostel so we stayed there went down just sampled all the Guinness all around the town went to the match came back did the same again it was grand the last one before the new season is can be tempting because that, that'll probably be Bradger's 11 for the first game ooh yeah not bad show tends to be doesn't it uh, I mean if Milan ever give us that friendly to the O's 100% I'm going to go because I want to see the San Siro before it gets knocked down. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that was a 3-0 win. Goals by Mandroyu with a double and Watts. Look very sharp. Danny and looked very sharp. Speaking of Fahey's field, Garrett, did you get that question right in my quiz today? No, because I jumped the gun. I jumped the gun. I saw it straight away and I jumped in with... Um, what was the what was the question? Which of these grounds in Galway... Oh, no, I did get that one right. I got that one right, but there's another one I jumped the gun with that was recent. And the second I read the whole four questions, I was like, <laughs> why did you do that? Why did you jump in? <laughs> what score did you get? Uh, six. A solid six. You're better than four. That's good, good by your standards. Yeah, getting better. Getting better. That was a tricky one, the, the Galway one, I think, because you probably haven't even heard of two of those grounds, have you? I, was, I, the only reason yeah. you put that in is because we played in Fightsville. That's what it is. That's yeah. a, tip, t- a typical Carl Riley... Uh, <laughs> Fucking tongue twister that one was. He you only threw it in because we played there. The second I saw that I goes, Carl did this quiz. We played in Fatty's Field. That's the answer. I didn't know the answer, I just cause we were there. Well we never played there. And we never played, yeah. But we match. we were just gone, yeah. you know what I mean? So there was the sparse ground and there was a Crowley Park. One that we played a cup match in. I think they were both in the or there was one in the nineties and one in the nineties maybe. But we had played competitive matches there before. And uh, yeah, yeah, like I've said, the whole first team travelled and stayed overnight, even though they all weren't involved in the game. Yeah, I think so. at one stage, all the players came out at half time, and we were standing there fairly well on, soaked to the bone. <laughs> and we were like, Is staying over? And they were like, uh, Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Oh, that's good. I was going to say, Where are you staying? Where are you going after this? No, they'll only be staying with us. <laughs> we are in bits. <laughs> Yeah, Berkey involved in the last couple of weeks. There was, there was no sign of in the initial friendlies, wasn't there? Now people were panicking. Yeah, shells. So the rumor pe- of the shells move. Certain people were panicking anyway. Yeah, so squad numbers have been confirmed. Prof Jack is back at twenty nine. Young Lions is twenty two, and it's pretty much the same after that, isn't it? Other than that, it's all the same numbers, yeah. Yeah. So there's no messing around there. Jack is back at number twenty nine. Members packs and scarves should be arriving this week. So your season ticket, if you ordered your season ticket inclusive, it will be part of this membership pack. So do not worry. And if you've got your kids one separate, they should be in the shop soon enough. So that's my situation. I'll be getting up to get my members ticket and the kids season ticket soon enough. Get user member packs. Yes, get user member packs with a very, very retro members badge as well. So looking forward to that one. And we hit the 3,000 mark in season ticket sales up to 3-1 now, Prof. Yep. And Kieran Wren purchased a 3,000 ticket and him and his family got to meet and greet with the first team squad and a training session at the Rose Hall. And the whole lot of them decked out in gear. Did you see it? That was class. Every one of them decked out in the newest of Rovers gear. Yeah. All there to see the team. It's class. Absolutely class. And I tell you what, Rose Hall's taking a couple of leaps, isn't it? All the in- That was all like a PE hall when I was there, when we were there last. Remember? They all, that, that's yeah. all new Astro remember going up there for the quizzes and stuff yeah it's unbelievable now it's a proper training centre like it's fucking unbelievable mm-hmm. uh, hashtag Talibi rocking uh, not sure about that hashtag here no. I think I might have to hand back my season ticket after <laughs> that one but 3000 sold uh, 
or 3100 now isn't it as you yeah, said yeah we're getting up there that's a thousand more than 2010 now that now that's interesting that's huge because we're talking our car now we're talking about like coming back from a really really good season in 2009 which we weren't expected to compete we did compete and then off the back of Tala being brand new a good season like that's huge like you, you think 2011 would be the peak for season tickets I mean European group stage back to back titles but no we've, we've overtaken that now yep. and we're still uh, getting we're still going as well yeah some car um, we book are, are we growing organically as a club I don't think so man I don't think we have enough bees involved in the club there's no bees there's no migrating Canadian geese I haven't even seen as much as a beaver in and around the stadium building a dam at the river in Sean Walsh Park. Like, what's going on? And if we went to Sligo now, could we bring 1,700 fans? I don't think so. I don't think they'd even put on a special train for us. Like, it's it's just not right. I don't know. But if, what I really want is I want to be able to recycle while I stand in the stand. In the stand. I want recyclable (laughs) 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 one final note look at the Wraith Rovers response when they signed that particular player ooh yeah it didn't didn't go down well and compare that to the Bowes response when they signed that particular player yeah so the outrage was enough for them to withdraw that Ray Rovers the Ray Rovers board four resigned four board members resigned and it was enough for them to withdraw the offer that they gave them the women's captain of 10 years yeah. quit the sponsor quit but then Bose just decided to continue on with the signing and mm-hmm. sing his name in the stands he's one of us one of our own one of our as own they, as they sang two very different responses yeah but they're organic. And they have geese. They had a the stadium ban. Or the stadium not ban. <laughs> yes. I think it's really harsh on the whole. It's, it's dangerous grounds in terms of going forward. You could have a stadium ban every second week for different things. I'm not excusing what was done. No excuses at all, but I think it was harsh. That was Bradzer speaking. Um, then, of course, we got the news this morning as we record here. This is nuts. So, we spoke about this already. It's it's not a ban anymore. It's a 5,000 euro fine. But, it's effectively a suspended sentence. Set aside was the word used. Yeah, so it's a suspended sentence. And I don't know how for how long. But, you can fucking bet your bottom dollar that they are out to get us now. Any little infraction. I'd say the force ultras group that will chance their arm with a pyro display are going to get hammered. That's my thoughts. I reckon anyone in and around... Like, the Force games are always going to be big. People usually have it planned. I guarantee you the Force one that has any sort of pyro display is going to get hammered. And they'll really nail it then. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's the correct decision because it was a mad decision to begin with. Because like we said, it was unprecedented. Yeah. Like, I talked to people going to football in this country for 40 years. And I said, has there been a game Force behind closed doors before? And they couldn't think of one. I think it reminds me of when I'd ground Jaden for a week. And i take his PlayStation away. i take his phone away. And then two days in, 
we give it all back and I'd say don't do it again <laughs> you know a cave so I think it was yeah. one of those things where he init- initially it was a bit harsh you start with the nuclear options Stri- nuclear nuclear strip them down yeah. everything nothing nothing left no train yeah. and no fucking playstation nothing and then so, you just, after two days like oh, god I'm sick of them already give it back to him. so we've dodged this one and it's fantastic it's, it was absolutely right that this was all returned but we're not in the clear like you said no, so they're going to be watching us like a hawk. We're on thin ice. So I'd be weary of uh, Derry because considering the allocation is going to be a bit tricky, I'm presuming. Well, what's what's the capacity of the brand new one now? I actually don't know. That's a good question. So they will sell out. First game, well, for, probably the first home game of the season. I think they're playing away in their first one. So if it's their first home game of the season, it's their first away game of the season. The six buses already going mm. down. It is on the telly. Hopefully we're not watching it in the Brandywell bar. But Hopefully all that ticket box is left behind us from last season. I don't know, man. People have long memories. Hopefully it's not the case, but we're pleading mm. that we all get into the stadium. Anyway. If you notice on Twitter, Tommy is still giving out about the the release of tickets in increments. <laughs> and he's right. Why are we still doing this? Like, 1,300 tickets given to Pats. Like, they were given an extra 200. And he's like... Just give them the tickets. Yeah. Not yeah. in increments. That's like it is. It's the bollocksology continues, you know. It's such a COVID thing, isn't it? The increments. So if we could, can we just leave this behind us? Yeah. But like I said, I'm hoping it doesn't bite us once again when we're going to the away games because it's a big, big... It's a battle of the billionaires as it's known now. <laughs> so we're, we're hoping that it's going to be a, a sellout. Everybody gets in. Everybody gets a ticket because it's a, it's a, there's a lot of excitement for this game, Prof. Which we now have a week to promote. Yeah. Because until now we didn't know we could attend the game. Yeah, but it, like even so, it's publicity that you couldn't dream of buying or or having because they're public. They're like they're they're broadcasting it for you. Like <laughs> this game was banned. This game is not banned. Did you hear Rovers are back? Um, there you go. Free publicity. It's like a video nasty in the in the eighties. Video nasty. Yeah. <laughs> when they're banned, it just makes you want to watch it yeah, more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Euro trash is on at 11 o'clock you're staying up you're not allowed to watch it but you fucking want to watch it Euro trash oh my god uh, yeah so that was Brad's art um, we've had more seri- more from our either or series on social media we learned that Leon doesn't need many sausages in part of Germany and donuts are Neil Farouge's guilty pleasure here is your brother Neil Farouge offbeat is the ultimate donut now do you know what actually I had this conversation about donuts a little bit of side talk prof have you sampled every pretty much every donut place in our in, in Dublin? Well, I'm actually not a big donut eater. I I really? do like them. It's not that I dislike them. I My just, go-to guilty pleasure. I just find them tough going. They fill me very fast. <laughs> you've offbeat, you've rolling donut, you've Krispy Kreme, um, you've a, you've Boston. I think that's probably the main ones there. But you know who are bottom of the barrel? Krispy Kreme. Everybody loves them. Bottom of the barrel, feel nauseous. There's all sorts of chemicals in them and shit. You can feel it afterwards. Top of the top of the pile, it's got to be uh, offbeat donuts. I think I ate three of them on Sunday, and then I was like a little sick dog that is eating too much and is rolling around because it got a sore tummy. <laughs> so I'm just rolling so around. You ne- so you never saw Fruji in there during his hamstring woes? No, 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 certainly didn't. We also learned that Barry Cotter will never wear glasses. Was that right? Yeah. Why is that now? You got a bit of a contacts fella. Yeah, he prefers the old contacts. Yeah, so um, photos of our training. 
And the new indoor Astro Hall at the Academy, like we spoke about a little bit earlier, it looks really, really sharp. So we've got everything now. So you go into the Roadstone. On the left-hand side, you've got this big new training hall. Right-hand side, you've got all the offices where they do their training and foam rolling and stuff like that. You have a bar. You have a restaurant. You've got classrooms as you go further in. You have a cabin that they make the tea in, prof, don't forget that. And then you've got all sorts of... I think you've got 11 aside, you've got 7 aside, you've got 9 aside, you've got outdoor core work and strength and conditioning. Like, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. And it's only going to get better when we do get this football building... John Delaney owes a few quid for. <laughs> I've actually recorded a few documentary interviews in, in the cabin. Oh, yeah? Uh, in front of the tactics board. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm on about. Yeah. It wasn't the first team. I think it was the 19th tactics board. So you could see the the 11 on the pitch and all that. Yeah, so really impressive stuff coming out of Rosestone. And it's only going to get better. She mentioned as well, uh, the league launch was Wednesday. Uh, that's today. And there was a bit of info on, on TV coverage. And it said, obviously, Alibi TV is, is continuing. The President's Cup game is free. After that, €7, Euro, no season ticket pass, as we know. But RTE are showing 15 Premier Division games in the entire season and three FAI Cup games. Three! Just a three. Spoiling us. But uh, wouldn't you, you'd rather, I mean, like we said, it costs money for clubs to put RTE up, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think, there's, there's no financial gain at all. So it's a hindrance when these guys turn up and come into town. So, is there a point? Is there a point, uh, would, would it come to the point where the likes of, let's say, Rovers took a stand and says, okay, we don't want you in here. Can that happen? Can we turn around and say, okay, we actually don't want you in our ground? We have no contract. We're not getting remunerated. There's no money coming in because of this. We're down money. I think it's worth them being there on the chance that they'll catch a game like the Dundalk 3-2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know what you mean. But like, is, I'd love to know the ramifications of if they decided we were going to boycott our team. We don't want mm. you in anymore. You know that type of thing? Yeah. Interesting to see if that ever happens. The happened. problem is the old system of they, they went missing in the summer and they came back and then they pick Pats at home to Drogheda yeah. for no reason and then they follow around the champions at the end <laughs> that whole system underrated well, so. fixtures prof we've been confirmed they'll start of the week ending Sunday March 6th except for the under 14 league which begins July 2nd Jesus so that's the one that was the controversy was about wasn't it the big gap yeah that's you know Robert's released a statement about that saying it's, July it's basically a mini season now isn't it yeah pretty much um, and was it, did you notice that in, in the fine print you, you're now allowed to play some overage players in the 19th games didn't see that how many yep. three it didn't say how many but it says it's going to allow senior players returning from injury or in need of game time excellent excellent pretty much the A championship brilliant idea great stuff and will only benefit the players that are playing on the pitch as well now you may say that it's, they're taking someone else's place they're taking a younger guy's place well, I think it's I think it's a good idea to mm. to mishmash them in there with the youth. Yeah, it's a good idea. Happy with that, Prof. Matty Smith joined Derry Pro. It's a good signing for them. Um, like you said, Battle of the Billionaires. It's coming up. It's coming thick and fast. Twenty fifth of Feb. Tifty's bus is full to the brim. Weekends pass midfield as well, doesn't it? Mm. Definitely, yeah. And basically, this section was just an excuse for me to say the following: <laughs> uh, Cork City have signed. Canadian midfielder Matt Serbly on loan from 
Tampa Bay Rowdies. There's the Rowdies. Uh, that's that's uh, Ryan Thompson's former team. Oh, is that them? Yeah, definitely is. Either played or coached. So the Rowdies. Harp signed a Croatian striker prof who last played in the Cambodian league. And I'm delighted there's no name here. <laughs> I should that's a, an error on my part I should have written down no doubt Audie Horgan scouted them personally I love I love this and uh, do you know what it hadn't happened and I'm thinking to myself it's not the start of the season unless Harp signs some randomer and finally yeah. finally it's happened probably signed a contract in a Supermax Danny <laughs> Danny back with Shells and Jordan McAneff is in, on loan from Arsenal so I know we were looking at Jordan for a while and, and from the word around the, the campfire was that he was a little bit too precious to have on loan with us, you know. Arsenal kind of regarded him highly. He had a couple of injuries since then, so he's gone back to he's gone back along with shells. Dan Carr back with shells as well, which is a strange one. I'm not too pushed. I don't really care to be honest. Scored I, a good goal against Bowes. Scored, I think he scored 18, nearly 20 goals for us overall. But I always had this weird feeling that Dan Carr would sign for someone like Pastor Shells one day. I don't know why. I just knew it would happen. And I loved him when he was with us. Yeah, he was good. He was good, but I think he left on a sour note. So, score spectacular goals. Yeah, the, the volley, the, like you always said, the volley yeah. against balls will always go on under underappreciated. When you say it to people, they're like, "Oh yeah, I haven't thought about that in three years." But um, yeah, score spectacular goals. But according to Brazzer, towards the end, his his attitude and work ethic was poor. They had a bit of a spat then, didn't they? Cara came back and said, that's not true. Yeah. So yeah. one of them was lying, I suppose. Uh, I didn't know Dave McAllister was there, did you? Yeah, he's there well now, yeah. Great guy, great guy. They've got a good coaching team there. Joey there, well, Duffer can be excluded from that one. <laughs> but, um, yeah, six the months, shells. prof. That's the prediction league. Six months for Duffer, that's what I'm <laughs> Shells away. Um, someone was saying to us that Probably only get going to get 750 tickets mm. if uh, they give us that allocation um, because they've ripped out seats in the, the body box and, and the Lego stand, the ring as well. Yeah, the ring fencing part of it and the Lego ends, that's what you're saying there, is condemned, isn't it? Yeah, so it's not looking good. We're going to be in the rain in behind the end at the just beside the main stand. So um, something needs to be done doesn't it infrastructure we were talking about this in work last night just about how you you hate the talk of strategies you were saying about the new FAI Jonathan Hill and strategies and what they can do and a, a, a good League of Ireland fella just says just invest spoof free invest <laughs> invest in facilities simple it's like oh well what about no no you're not listening Jonathan Hill invest in facilities that's all you need to do I just thought the rest the, will follow. What's the point in putting out stuff like in twenty twenty five the League of Ireland will be in the top thirty in the coefficients? How can you control that's that? A, that's that's a mental thing to say. How do you have any control over what Rovers uh ball no not balls, who's on top? Sligo, Pat they do in Europe. They're gonna do in Europe. You fucking madman. What the fuck is he doing? Like that's spoofy, like you said. <laughs> I doesn't even live here. He's commuting. And we give him money to fucking commute and I don't think he's taking uh, no, I, 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 I didn't know. even care about that part. I just <laughs> If he does a good job I've no issue at all, but it, like do a ruddy, you know, get up there, yeah, get in there, was, live in dirty. It was a big daily mail uh hatchet job when it wasn't it, the whole 
he, he's not even living in, in Ireland and all that. But he, he didn't use the expenses, in fairness. It wasn't like Delaney robbing money. Yeah. It's just that he hasn't touched the moving expenses. 30 grand. Different thing altogether, Dougal. First of all, that money was just resting in my account before I moved it on. It was resting for a long time, Ted. Yes, <laughs> a good long rest. So, Prof, Glenmalore, three wins on the bounce. 5-1 win against Exodus FC on Saturday. They're looking for four in a row. Big one coming up against, I think it's York Road out in the Bogies in Cabaret. So, it's a bit of a Dublin derby. They're looking for support. Get out. Check their Facebook page, Glenmalore Rovers. Check out their Instagram, their Twitter. Keep you updated. But get out and support the boys. And they're having a... Get out to Darren Heff as well. If you're looking for a ticket to win Barry Carter's jersey from last year. So they have a couple of tickets left. €10. Euro. Uh, if you want to get in touch with them, just get in touch with Glenmalore Rovers. Twitter, Instagram, anything like that. But good luck to the boys. It's a, it's a big, big match coming up. And they're trying to get themselves up. And from what I'm hearing, Tommy Kelly in goal is all making all the difference. <laughs> Yeah, Saturday, 12 o'clock, that game in Cabra against York Road. So they're looking to make a four in a row. The cat, as he's known now. Yeah, they're looking really good lately, Glenmalore. Uh, the previous week, they beat Belgard. Big Taladarby. Do you know who was playing for Belgard in that game? Who was playing for Belgard? Don Cohen. Don, uh, possibly a little bit of a fall from Grace. Possibly, mm. yeah. Uh, like we said on the chat there recently, that... That miss in up against Sport and Fingal still haunts me. Still haunts me. Yeah. He had his chances at that, Rovers. Was that the, the cup game in yeah. Sandry? He had his chances. He really did. And there was another one where it was we were shooting into the south. Well, it's the south stand now. And it was a free header. Whipped, whipped in. So it was curling outwards to walk away from the goal. Whatever way he managed to do it. All he had to do was tap it in with his head. He headed it with the back of his head and cleared it. <laughs> I was like, you wouldn't be able to ever do that again. It's impossible what you just did there. But uh, yeah. he was fast. That was weird. He was always pacey. And uh, the lads were, were saying, imagine staff chasing them. Imagine yeah. staff chasing Don Cohen. Uh, the positional sense with staff. Staff just have to take a little step left and right here. He'd have him in his pocket. Nah, the thing is, about never catch him. Though, he looked like he was on a horse whenever he was running. His legs were bow-legged. <laughs> and he's like he was on a horse, but he's running really fast. Yeah, so that's the Glenmalore section and good luck to the boys. So get out and support them. Cape Verde conquerors Senegal beat Egypt on penalties in the final to win the first ever African Cup of Nations with Sadio Mane scoring the winner. Um, probably the most penalty shootouts I've ever seen in my life. And I was looking back on the history of the AFCON. There's a lot of penalty shootouts. There's a lot of them. 
So it wasn't just this tournament because people no, were saying this a was, lot. It was kind of a shit tournament. The last, the last tournament was, I think, it was decided by one. Like, uh, if you look in the history of it, delve into the into the rabbit hole there. It made a, a shock. It made a shocking start, wasn't there? Like 10, 10 of the first nil fourteen odds. games under one point five. Yeah, had one goal or less in them. The number of nil nil hours were, and they were saying maybe when the COVID issues die down, it would improve. But like you said, there was a lot of pen shootouts. Yeah, crazy. Uh, yeah, like I said, the team that knocked out Pigo went on to win the trophy. Yeah, that was, the, that was their first ever African Cup of Nations win. I was surprised by that. The oh, Senegal, oh, Senegal. Yeah. yeah, they used to always have decent teams, didn't they? El Hadj do remember that. Um, so two weekends ago, Travers had the most clean sheets in England with twelve, and Bazunu second with eleven. It, the goalkeeper situation at or international level is unbelievable, <laughs> isn't it? Like, just give it. Can we turn one of them to a goal scorer? Like, three really good goalkeepers. But Bazunu has to shade it. It's mad, isn't it? He has to shade it, doesn't he? Gavin Cooney of the 42.ie prof, he tweeted this. Lots of interesting comments and opinions flying about in relation to LOI transfer fees and related matters. I don't think it's a coincidence that the LOI's too big success of late. Bazunu and a banquet both stayed to do their leaving side. It says something about the players in question, of course, but also about their clubs. The provision of allowance of education by clubs is important in earning and trust the commitment of players and their families. So, totally, totally agree with this. And it's something that we spoke about a lot about players sticking around and having an education. And I think Ronan Finn was one of the main, one of the first ones to do it. He, when he when he got a chance to go abroad, and he I think he stuck around and it is leaving, sir. But it's something that you'd have to think about. You have to have your your education nowadays and continue on. But we're being we're providing this for our players. Like I mean, there's a classroom in the Roadstone. We're providing this for players. It's essential. It's brilliant. They're getting a, a brilliant education, footballing and educationally. So hopefully that will, will become the norm. Is that a word educationally, <laughs> educationally. I don't think that's a word. Electroconicals. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's brilliant, and it's something that a lot of the clubs are doing. And we are every, every club seems to be getting their their house in order with this type of thing. If Sligo recently looking to promote and uh, improve their facilities and things like that, so Sligo who don't have a billionaire, they were key in distress. Yeah, and uh, they don't promote gambling, but they have a lotto for twenty four thousand every week, which they actively encourage everyone to buy all around Sligo, which is the same as buying in the boogies. They're doing the lotto. Are going to gamble, but we won't talk about that, will we? Uh, Roy Keane advanced talks to return to management first time in ten years with Sunderland. I think that that could be a failure. Has he adapted to the new game? Will he be able for a dressing room full of wash bags? <laughs> I fair he did well there before. And the reason I've included this in into the show is because fun fact: me and Gar went to Old Trafford in two thousand seven. And this was Roy Keane's first game back at Old Trafford when he was Sunderland manager in his first spell. That was a big fellow up front with the dreadlocks. Kenwin Jones. Yeah. Uh, Saha scored the winner for United. Yeah. This really, remember my uh, best 11 that I've seen live? This game helped me improve that one. Although Fergie rested Ronaldo and Rooney. Bastard. Scalzi was there, wasn't he? I think he played, yeah. Yeah, Scalzi played. Um... Steroid atmosphere as well. Like we, we were yeah. just like, that's what you do, just sit here and watch the match. Do you remember that guy standing up? He was trying to sing on his own the whole time, and then he just started going, "I'm the only fucking one singing here." Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we have what we have. Like it's, 
it's surely certain parts of Old Trafford are, are, have got some sort of atmosphere but we're only talking about the likes of the Green Brigade who are doing absolutely outrageous things at the minute as regards to fan culture and I don't think it exists really within Britain it's it's not something that they do maybe Crystal Palace they seem to have a bit of an element there but other than that or Leicester with fans running on the pitch <laughs> yeah see your man in Nottingham <laughs> Forest yeah was he a Leicester fan or was he a Forest fan or he hit the Forest I, players didn't he I think it was a Leicester Shoot, fan. Do you have to yeah. be? Like he's it's his door his door obviously not getting kicked in, he's been arrested on the spot. That's he's going to jail. I love how he has his job title in his Facebook page and it's like Well, good luck with that. Well, you're going to jail. Enjoy jail. <laughs> so yeah, uh, part two of Barry Murphy from Tala Onwards Prof. At the end of that season, myself and Ty Purcell and my um fiance now, um we're over in Australia. We went over just uh, backpacking across Australia, and a couple of met a couple of my mates over there, and uh, we'd met Ray Wilson. We'd gone in contact with him, and went out and stayed with him. Went out for dinner. I remember going to meet him in a, in a restaurant, and we'd literally just come off the plane with our backpacks on and looking like we were homeless, and meeting him in this posh restaurant in in uh, Sydney. But the next morning, I think, or one of the mornings after, we were on the beach, and I remember. News had come true that they they'd won the the appeal against Thomas Davis and I remember myself and Ty just being delighted like absolutely because we'd new contracts or a year left in the contracts we knew we could be potentially involved with the with the first game in Tala and that was something from haven't seen it for years the shell of it the, from going up and down that it was a milestone that you really want to be involved with you're you're kind of you're putting the cement there your your names in in history if you're part of the first team to play in it. Yeah, the likes of Derek Tracy and players like that, unfortunately, never got to play a competitive game in Tata. So, like you say, it's an honour to be in that eleven. Yeah, absolutely. I think for, for years before, I think a lot of team photos were done there. Mightn't have been used, but there was always that, that chance that you'd have the team photo with the, with the shell of the stand behind you. By the end of that season, you might actually be in it and playing in it. Um, but for a lot of players and, and great players, they never got the chance. But I think you just really wanted to be involved in it. I think that was... The end of that year, we obviously hadn't done too well, so there was a couple of lads who were let go and things who were obviously devastated to not get a chance to play in it. But thankfully, I was one of the one of the, the lads kept on and, and got a chance the next season. Just the one stand uh, for the first game. It's been described to us as uh, still a building site even that day, but um, obviously two overcrowded, but three thousand five hundred supposedly more than that. What do you remember about the? The atmosphere in the ground, people who have been waiting 22 years for this. It was phenomenal. I think even the build-up all week, we had like people coming up to us in the, uh, on the street and in the training ground just saying like how proud they were to to still be uh, around to see to see us playing in, in the, the new stadium and things like that. And then I think even the crowd was very kind of eclectic. There was people coming from abroad to to come and be part of the crowd, and it wasn't just the local Tala fans or local Dublin uh, Rovers fans. It was of people this is a a thing they've been waiting for for years and had again like like the players wanted to be part of history and as you said god knows how many people were in the stand like it's probably a, a safety violation but it was phenomenal i remember that they kind of um ticker tape before it and just walking out and there's a great picture of us walking out and kind of just looking up to the left and right and seeing uh seeing the, the huge crowd and obviously then it kind of moves from that to a, an expectation of well you don't want to lose the first game in the stadium so that kind of pressure grew then. Huddle from Shane Robinson. Do you remember what he said? Yeah, I think he just mentioned that you're you're part of history now, but you'd only be down in history as as the team who loses the first game in Tala. I think that was 
huge for us. I think it was part of the, the team talk throughout the whole week was this is the start of a new era. You 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 buy into it and you and you be part of it and you, and you you build with with the stadium as well as the team. And I think if the team was growing, so um, I think you you really want to be part of it. And I think that was kind of hammered home in, in that team talk. The weather and the game was horrible. Wind and rain. Was it just a sense that we have to win this game? We're going to win this game. And then from the moment Gary Twig puts us ahead, it just feel like it was going to be our night. Yeah. Um, you just had that expectation that kind of the force was which you kind of there was, you weren't going to lose that kind of when Ireland suppose played in the rugby in, in Croke Park against England there was no way they were going to be beaten that night and it was kind of similar to us in in that stadium I think when two years ago disallowed maybe earlier in the game and I think the weather was horrendous and it was kind of tapering out a bit the game and like you're kind of wondering well well do you take a, a draw but I remember a brilliant goal from from him and it's that great picture of him kind of on the swivel and, and then to the top corner and then then we get the second goal and then I think about 10 minutes to go Gavin Pearce scored for Sligo and then it's kind of back to the wall but it kind of brought us together it was a camaraderie there where we're going to see this out and, and get the win and, and get over the line and, and thankfully we did so uh, Gerard Bryan who you know pretty well you're, you're still with him at Pats now you would have began with him in 2006 in the first division Michael O'Neill controversially sold him to Derry to pay for some guy called Gary Twig from Scotland. So, <laughs> what did the players make of of this decision? And then when you saw him training, did you see something special was there? No, uh, we played Bray and we drew nil all. I thought I can't believe we sold Gerald Bryan for, for for this guy. To be honest, um, I think no, it, was, it would have been harsh on him. But I think we drew nil all, and you're kind of. It was a weight of expectation on Twiggy to come in and hit the ground running and score goals and and he kind of didn't do that very early on but then you saw him in training and just his calmness and his, his little flicks and like they weren't screamers he was scoring they weren't 40 yard goals or, or beating 10 players he was just knew exactly where to be and what part of his body to use to to uh, to get the ball in the back of the net and I think he just showed that that killer instinct that probably the league hadn't seen in a few years never mind Rovers um yeah, he was just, just when you had someone like that in the team, you knew if you kept clean sheets, you were going to win games there in the other end. It's rare, isn't it? A player has that much of an impact on the club, has that much of a rapport with, with the supporters for four years. I mean, it's still folklore, the Gary Twigg at Robbers, isn't it? Yes, especially from someone to come in from abroad, like from a club that I'd never heard of before, you know, before he signed. Um, so as if you're signing this lad in from... A top team where you're thinking he's gonna gonna get you loads of goals, but obviously Michael saw the talent he had and, and what he brought to what he was gonna bring to the team. Um, but yeah, like I think fans love that, don't they? Like the somebody that can can do that for your team. You just he was an instant hero, and I think they probably brought along a, a new kind of era of Rovers fans as well who who come back to see somebody like that and brought an atmosphere to to the ground with some of the goals he got. Um, I think obviously that goal. The two goals against Bowes kind of cemented Tala as, as our home then, I think, and, and him as a hero. Any mementos from the first game of Tala? Um, I have the team sheet, um, the programme, and obviously I have my jersey as well from that night. Probably still rain-soaked somewhere, but uh, yeah, I, I have them. But um, just the memories, I think, are, are the best keepsakes from that night. Father, you mentioned of you the team coming out. I do, I have that photograph, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I know the, the the guy well who took it now, but um, 
Yeah, I've just I have that at home and kind of I've loved the keepsakes throughout years of all my, my Rover series isn't I think at home, so yeah, just really fun times. So speaking of Gary Twig, the the Bowes game two one, uh we're one 0 down in the ninetieth minute. I think we're we're expecting you to come up for 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 the corner, but you didn't come up. Stephen Bradley takes the corner. Uh eventually works his way back in and Twig scores. So what do you remember from the equaliser and then the madness that the followed then? Yeah, I think um, I was kind of looking towards the bench to come forward and I think I wasn't going to add much of a presence going up there with, with my height. Like, so I think it was better off to, to let me back and, and sweep up down the other end. But yeah, I think we were so unlucky then. The penalty was a bit controversial at the time. Went one little down, played well, a couple of good chances. But um, it was kind of a game, kind of a draw was kind of fair enough for both teams. But... I just remember his, the goal, the, the the first one was unbelievable. I was like, oh, we're getting out of here with, with a draw. That's a, a great start. You don't want to lose to Bose and Tala in, your, in the first game. Um, obviously, the celebrations were brilliant. And then I just remember, I think it was a free kick then, the second one. Aiden Price was launching it in um, from deep in our own half. And somebody getting a flick on. And then I don't know how, I can't even fathom how he kind of uh, orchestrated his body to get that kind of flick twiggy and it wasn't as if it was like into the top corner and they kind of just flicked it by Brian Murphy but the way he did it it was so unexpected and obviously hit the net and I can just remember running I've seen a small video of it of me jumping into the crowd down beside the dugout and um, just the place in raptures it was just such a brilliant feeling and then I think they had a free kick last kind of 30 seconds that was launched in and I caught it and kind of got it shunned from Jamie McGuinness and have it in my hands and then the ref blows it up and that, that was it like a, a brilliant night so yeah Cristiano Ronaldo in the news at the moment uh, can you remember when it was first talked about Real Madrid Ronaldo's debut was there feeling was it feeling like they'll just send over the reserve team this can't be happening yeah I think there was a couple of matches like that kind of um, put out there I think there was talk of Barcelona was playing the Aviva or at Lansdowne wherever it was at, at that stage Um a couple of these games had come up at at certain times and they'd never come to to fruition. Um, but then it kind of built pace that that in the papers they kind of got a hold of it. And then you look at the World Cup was obviously on at the time they'd won at Spain. You're thinking who who are they going to send over here? Like, but um, then it was obviously he'd signed Ronaldo, so it added more to it then. And then it came that they they'd released their their team sheet for their traveling party, and he was part of it along with these other. Galactico superstars and and their first game is going to be against us and, and we're going to be playing against them I was just reading from the book Talatime earlier just talking about you lining up your wall in front of a Ronaldo free kick so what's it like facing down a Ronaldo free kick yeah it's, even though the, 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 I'm sure you've heard before the team talk before Michael O'Neill given and uh, signing players and you've got Pafflin you're Mark and Rell or like and you're looking at these lads on the corner going, these are like superstars, like unbelievable players. And um, then obviously he got a free kick on the edge of the box and I'm lining up my wall and standing beside my post and Ronaldo's standing in his his pose with the legs spread ready to, to hit a rocket at you. And um, I was kind of hoping it would come over the, over the wall and I get to make a save, but obviously he shanked it wide. But um, great just to have that, that picture of me kind of setting up my wall and Ronaldo ready to, to strike it. Yeah, eighty million it cost. So when he when he hit that free kick wide, the fans saying, "What a waste of money!" But uh, quite the career he's had since then. It feels like we've come for a circle now. He left United for eighty million that year, and now he's just come back to Old Trafford. So have you been, have you been watching him? 
Ah, yeah. Um, I got a got a moment to talk to him as well in in the tunnel, and I think you're just in awe of, like, just what what he was at the time, what he'd done for United, and what he's obviously gone on to do now. But you're just probably talking to a normal bloke in a tunnel about football at at that stage, like you know. But um, yeah, just a phenomenal player. But just some of the lads they had on the pitch, I just think we even the whole build up to it that week with the amount of TV cameras and training and things like that was just surreal for us. But it's probably what these lads are dealing with week in week out and. You know, it's nothing to water off a duck's back to them, but for us it was such a, a huge moment and kind of announced us into probably um, more of the uh, the mind's eye in Ireland to, to what potentially teams in Ireland could could progress in the future and show the potential of Tallah Stadium as well with the, with the stands kind of the um, the stadium was full at that to capacity, obviously with the temporary stands at that stage, but it showed what would tra- transpire to be in, in later years with, with the potential with the four stands uh, Alamana signs in the summer then uh, I suppose what was your reaction to Manus coming in and what did Michael say to you about you know you're going to be competing for the number one shirt now um, I was kind of it was myself and I think Robert Duggan at the time and nothing was really said to me when Alan signed um, and then Tommy Wright came in as goalkeeping coach and I <clears throat> Excuse me, and I thought, uh, yeah, this is it's a bit odd. It was a kind of a relationship there with him and Alan, and I thought um, maybe my, my days might be numbered here, but my playing days anyway, um, starting. But I think I played one or two games maybe after he'd come in, and and I'd still been doing well, and then suddenly I was out of the team, which obviously I wasn't happy about. Um, and Alan was straight in, and Alan's a lovely bloke, no. no uh, no problem between us there, but obviously I wasn't happy. But if you if you're kind of into a loss of form or something like that, you you'd feel okay. Well, at least I'm gonna I'll have a chance to fight for my position. But it, it never felt like that, that that there was a chance to fight for for the position. It was kind of well, Alan's the goalkeeper now, and and you're gonna be on the bench, and and that's gonna be it for the foreseeable. Like you were our longest serving player at this point. You were there uh, four seasons, so I think even the fans weren't too happy about this. You had a good relationship with them. Uh, they weren't too sure about you know you being replaced as goalkeeper. Yeah, I can remember a conversation I had with Michael. I actually I think we played a game. Um, Alan played. I think he'd made a, a mistake or, or something happened in the game, and the crowd getting on his back. I think a little bit, and um, I got into Alan or got into Michael in his office, and I just said, "Listen, I'm still playing for you. I'm playing for the team." I said, "Like I've no part in." In, in the crowd's reaction to Alan or, or to yourself said I still want to be part of your team and and obviously I have a, a kind of report the fans haven't come through the ranks and, and done well for them but um, from my point of view I still want to be part of it and um, I'd like to still fight for my position and he acknowledged that and said thanks for coming in and saying that and, and kind of I thought that was kind of a, a bit of a relationship builder between the two of us but um, not that things de-escalated just things didn't go how I planned where, where I'd actually get an opportunity to play again and to stake a claim and I kind of just got into the, the role where I was the backup goalkeeper and, and I, was, I was doing well at the time and there was mutings and maybe going to England at, at that time as well and um, obviously you need to be playing to, to do something like that. Did uh, the relationship kind of deteriorate at the end there the last few games? Uh, I think you had a wrist injury and it seemed like that was kind of the end of you at Roberts then. Yeah, I, I got injured the day before. Um, Shane Robinson had hit a shot and kind of bent my, my um, wrist back. And 
I didn't want to say anything about being injured to be honest I was just back in the team and um, we were doing a warm up in Dundalk and again I taped it up and got a knock at it again and I thought I'm, I'm, I'm not right to play here like I'm going to make a fool of myself here if, if I if I get a knock at it again or, or a goal goes in and I'd said it and I don't know whether it wasn't believed or what had gone on from, from Michael's point of view whether it was well, you've got your chance to come back in and, and you're not wanting to play now. What's what's the story there? But um, I felt it was an, an unselfish decision, me not playing um, more than uh, not wanting to play. Like I'd obviously wanted to play, but um, yeah, I don't think it was taken that way from, from Michael's point of view. And uh, the relationship definitely took a turn for the worse after that. And then he, Michael publicly said that you turned down an improved two-year contract. So... Was that the case that you just you wanted to move on? No, this wasn't improved at all. It was um, I was still on the same contract I was on when I signed for my first year back in the Premier after um, actually in the first division with Pat Scully. It was the same contract. I was basically given, as I said, with, with Roddy, um, kind of looked after with expenses at the time, and then we got relegated and Dublin City had come in and offered me a contract which I was never going to accept it was I wanted to be at Rowers but Rowers had tied me down to a deal then and um, I think the only improvement offered was clean sheet bonuses but there was no point in a clean sheet bonus when you weren't playing and that was the only improvement for a contract that I'd been there for four years and I was an established goalkeeper in the league had been doing well in the league Um, I knew my worth I knew what other players were on and it was in in the team, never mind the league, the keepers at the same stature, and I just felt that the offer was was given to me to push me out. It wasn't an offer that was designed to keep me to stay. Like so, that that's how I felt. Um, I don't think he particularly wanted me to stay. I think he was happy enough with the with the crowd's rumblings to to cease with with me departed, and he would have been happy to to push on with Alan with someone else. Fans' point of view was it was quite strange because everything was done on on the QT, I suppose, because there was no press release about you leaving. And then February comes and, and you sign for Bohemians. But, but from your point of view, you just you, you wanted to move on. I was kind of um, to to and fro, to be honest with you. Um, there was other clubs that were in for me, but I thought to myself, this is my my job. This is my earnings, and I know this obviously. You've got to think about um, your legacy at the club and and being able to hold your head up high. But there's one thing: being able to look at Robert Sands in the face and and playing for Bray or being putting food on the table and moving forward in your career and, and earning a living. And I had to choose what was right for me in terms of being able to to keep playing football professionally as a as a career. And they were the club that came in for me. They were the champions. They were. Uh, the club that wanted me, a club that wanted me to, to start and play for him and, and that was the choice really. Um, I think then he, he made a comment about me uh, going under the back gate or something like that, I think it was, was in there. I thought that was so uncalled for, for what I'd done for the club. Um, instead of going out the back gate, I didn't want to go out the front door to patronise him, slapping the back from, from, from himself. and. I knew there wasn't a genuine interest in keeping me from his part and my only regret was probably not having more dialogue with the club about what was going on and and seeing their point of view Um, because the club is more than just the manager and that's probably my my biggest regret was probably not talking to the board more about it. 
were you, were you sad to leave the club and sad to leave the club in, in that manner I guess absolutely um, like every club every player wants to leave is marking a club and, and I'd, I'd done that by my performances and by the historic moments that, that I played my part in and when you when you want to leave a club, you want it to be on your terms, or you kind of outgrow the club, or the club usually outgrows you, which is probably the right way for for things to happen, and you, you fade away into the background, but you have that kind of uh, legacy left behind, and and you part in the right way, and you want to be kind of leaving with with a mutual agreement, kind of. But it was never going to happen from from the manager's point of view. He decided that I was kind of surplus to requirements when he brought a new keeper in, and. I wasn't willing to let us both fight for the position. So kind of it was sad from that point, but kind of um I suppose it diluted my feelings for for that staff and, and the team when I wasn't really involved in it. So I was going into training and, and trying to do my best every week. But then when you know you're not playing on a Friday, it's it's hard to train for a job you're not gonna not gonna do it on a Friday. So um yeah, but obviously leaving the club and, and what it meant to me and my family was was really difficult. And ironically then, uh, Rovers are trying to win a, a league title for the first time in 16 years. It comes down to the last day, but you're playing for for the other team, Balls. What do you remember from that night, sort of back and forth, hearing what the score was, and you know, we knew it was going to go go down to goal difference probably, so what do you remember about that night? Yeah, I think uh, I think we got beaten by Galway in the second last game, and I think it was in our hands at that stage, and... Uh, Rovers were out in Bray then we had Dundalk at home and I think we needed a five goal swing we needed to win five goal by five goals in the night or something we started really well um, and then Bray got one up and it was rumblings in the crowd just, and this had come onto the pitch we knew Rovers were losing and then they got an equaliser I think and this, I think it was over after the, the second last game I don't think they were ever going to gonna lose that game Rovers in, in the last the last uh, game out in Bray, I think you kind of had that feeling from the second last game. But, but listen, I've no qualms about us. They, they beat us to, to the league title and, and they were deserved winners. Uh, you, you have a couple of Santana Cup medals, uh, a league cup when you, uh, as well when you came back at Rovers. Was that maybe one regret that you, you came very close to the, winning the league there? Yeah, definitely. I think I was always part of a, a squad that was building or coming back from, from something. I think in my first kind of years, obviously winning the first division and then being part of that, uh, the team that was building to to be the success it is now, um, kind of the foundations were being laid by by ourselves and a couple of players had kind of moved up and been part of the teams that were were obviously looking to to go and win things then, and I could have been part of that team with with Michael O'Neill. I think that they went on and, and won league titles and well in Europe, but I would have been a bit part player if at all. I think I would have been a squad member, and it's not not at 24 whatever age I was 24 25 you don't want that you want to be playing like I'm, I'm training to play and there's no point in me having those kind of uh, winners medals and things when you don't actually earn them so I think you're better off being away from that and, and playing in a team even if it means you're not winning but actually playing um, instead of having a medal that's kind of um, not real diluted medal I'd call them were you delighted to get the call to come back to Rovers in uh, 2013 with Trevor Crowley? He'd been assistant manager at Pats where you were in 2012, so were you happy to come back? Delighted. Um, I felt I'd unfinished business. Um, I felt I'd probably bridges to mend, as I said, with, with, with people in the club that I, that I cared about. Um, a report to, to try and salvage with, with fans. Um, 
and obviously I wanted to win things. That's why I came back. And Trevor had done really well as an assistant coach at, at, at Pats, but he was probably more than that at Pats. I think he was kind of, he took the reins really for, for a lot of it. And I saw how, how good he was and the, the type of uh, coach or manager he'd be at Rovers. And then after the cup final with Pats, then he obviously got the job and, and contacted me about coming back. and. I'd said yes straight away. I didn't listen to what the offer was. I was I wanted to be back, and and we got the deal done fairly quickly. I mentioned the the, the Santa Cup there. That whole campaign was pretty memorable, wasn't it? There was Linfield, which was <laughs> was chaos on out the pitch in that one. The late Dennehy free kick in Cork, and then trouncing draw to seven one in the finals. That whole whole campaign was a good one. Brilliant. I think that that was. What was brilliant about the Santa Cup at the time, I think it was the best of the North and the best of the South, and the teams were probably on par, maybe a little bit more in favour of the teams down South, but I think we beat Linfield down here, saved the pen on the game, beat them well, and then went up North, I think there was a bit of trouble down here, went up North, and again, it kind of kicked off in the stands, but there was just a great atmosphere about it, and really good team playing good football at the time and um obviously gone down and yeah literally last kick of the game i think billy's free kick and <clears throat> b cork down there obviously the sticky get from the shutdown down there and i was in, in that end and billy scored in the other end so it was nice to celebrate in front of them and then uh, the final i just think i think we scored early and we never looked back i think it was, there was four types of weather in that game as well but um yeah it was, it was nice to finally win something with rowers in tala as well so it was really good uh, I think it was the 2014 season. Normally, the strikers are the one who gets kind of all the plaudits for goal landmarks and stuff. But do you remember a graphic that was done by myself? Just to pat myself on the back here. <laughs> a hundred clean sheets in your Robert's career. Was that something to be proud of? Yeah. Um, I think it was the breakdown of the games you had it on as well. Yeah, I have that up my wall. Actually, I have it blown up and put up my wall. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was brilliant. It was just something you look back on at the end of your career but just to see something like that and realise how many games you've played and and uh, the part you've played in those games as well it was, it was so interesting to look at um, but yeah we we kind of had a mixed season that year I think we won two two of the main cups well not the, the main cup the Santa Cup and the EA Sports Cup that year and then um, kind of seen as an unsuccessful year then because we didn't go on and do it in the league which is which is right because we should have been challenging, but um, I think we were probably building a team there to go and to go and do something, and and maybe Trevor was kind of um, prematurely maybe let go, but obviously it turned out to be okay in the end for for them um, a couple of years later. But uh, we had a really good team, and it was just good to be part of it and to do well personally. You were a player of the year in twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen. Uh, I don't think there was a ceremony for either one. I think it was. A presentation on the on the touchline. Would you rather, I suppose, a proper night been made of it, kind of like is done nowadays? I think that's something Rovers do really well. Um, is acknowledge their players and and their fans and people around the club that do well for the club. And I think putting on those kind of nights are important because they they give the chance for players to interact with fans and fans to interact with players and just to make a community of the whole thing. And um, it kind of it's kind of sad enough that uh, results dictate whether those events kind of happen and just the kind of aura and uh, around the place and the feelings <clears throat> whether those kind of nights should go ahead i think they should always go ahead i think there's probably a chance for people to air air their kind of thoughts as well um and and kind of get to know players and 
I was just delighted to win it though. I, I didn't care where it was. It was kind of the same as the goat the first time I'd won it in um so that was in five thousand six, but um just delighted to, to win the trophy and and uh, to have three of them now at home. Yeah, the first ever winner of the OR was Robbie Gaffney back in uh, nineteen eighty. He was at the match last night, <laughs> cheering on the hoop, still going. But uh, you're the only ever three time winner, so it, that's an amazing accomplishment. I didn't know that now, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, really something to, to look back on. But um, yeah, obviously I would rather would have rather winners medals. But personally, to to look back on them and there's something something now I've shown my kids, um, with a little girl and a boy, and um, probably too young to realise what they actually are. But in years to come, I'll I'll show them and uh, to show what what a part of history of, of Rovers you were. Is there also a sense of that you obviously performed really well in both of those seasons and you deserve the award, but is there also a feeling of when your goalkeeper wins that award, the outfield players probably haven't set the world on fire and you haven't won a league? That's I think that was my first thought was if we'd have had a thirty goal a season. I think that was what I said that night when we'd won it, if we'd have had a thirty goal a season or a twenty goal a season score, he wins it automatically and I'd happily let that happen next year or, or this year like him. And I think that's probably happened from from then on. It kind of shows you it's a barometer of where the the team was at the time. Um, and I'll see outfielders again and now, which which is really good for overs. And you're you're just looking for that next twiggy. You'd love a twiggy to win it every year because you know this this goal's gone in down the other end and and you're winning things. So twenty five or sorry twenty fifteen twenty sixteen, you had a fight in your hands for the number one shirt with Craig Hyland. Uh, Stephen Bradley replaces Pat Fennan midway through. 2016's first game is in Finland. So, what do you remember about Finland going out and uh, Brazzer coming in? Um, yeah, it's kind of been muted around for a while. That pass was maybe going. Um, <clears throat> then he was in kind of for a training session one morning, and then I think we had a double session, and he wasn't in for the second part of the session. And then he'd obviously walked away from the job or lost the job. I'm not sure what what kind of went on there, but. Um, we were kind of wondering what was going to happen. As a staff, who was coming in, and as players, we were all out of contract at the end of the year. What kind of what way it happens then? And um, obviously, then Stephen came in, and, and I think the first couple of games was with European games. Um, and I wasn't playing; I was out of the team at the time, and decided to stay with with well, the status quo, which was fine. And I challenged for for the position, which is which is all you can ask for. What was your impressions of Stephen uh, as a coach at that point? I think he was just taking it on on a caretaker basis. Obviously, five years later, he's he's built the league and cup winning team now. Uh, very raw. I think I don't know whether he decided. I know it had been said around that he didn't want the job or or the board maybe were looking for him to come in as a stopgap. But I don't think that was ever the case. I think he was being groomed for the position and it was a position he wanted and. Obviously, turns out he was the right man for the job. Like it's, and it was great that he was given the time to, to do that. I think that's something you're probably not given um, as a manager these days. Um, but like, you, you can't learn a position in a, in a season, especially coming in from from not having any experience in it. But um, he'd come in, and <clears throat> my only kind of grievance with the whole thing is that we didn't have a goalkeeping coach from from July to the end of the year, which was annoying for me. Um, it's hard to kind of take yourselves for sessions with with yourself and Craig and uh, Craig was brilliant and I still get on really well with him and we both tried to keep each other motivated and and ready for for match day, but um that was something that I don't think ever came out at the time that we never actually had a goalkeeping coach from from July onwards um when Pat went but um 
Yeah, it's, it's, that's kind of his, his, stepping, his stepping stones into the, the job at Rovers. Uh, you, you've been with Pat since then. Uh, you actually played quite recently when uh, Yaros was on the international duty. That was your first game in uh, in two years. So what was it like being out on the pitch again? <laughs> Fish out of water. I think um, people say it'd be like riding a bike, but it uh, wasn't at all. Um, yeah, I caught it taking a year out, kind of with a view to maybe finishing. And then uh, Stephen um, gave me a call and said, "Listen, we'd like to come back in as experience and to give." We've a lad coming over from Liverpool. He's a great prospect. He's but he's very young, and there's another young keeper coming up through the ranks. And we like that bit of stability and experience behind it. And if need be, come in and 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 play. And thankfully, uh, Veet has a uh, has played every game and has been excellent for Pats. But obviously, the call up then, as a consequence of that, his his performance. He's got a call up and. And I've had to come out of the dark and, and step into a match, but hopefully that's the only one I have to play this year. And, and then I can gracefully uh, go into retirement at the end of the year, hopefully. Um, best and worst moment of your career? Best moment? Um, either winning the league down in Cove or jumping into the crowd and Twiggy scored the second against Bowles. And my worst moment of the career is Talk Park, getting relegated. Definitely. Robert Sands will want me to bring up this one, but uh, sorry for bringing it up. Uh, TNS in 2010 in Europe, probably probably one of the worst results for a League of Ireland club. Is that one you kind of think back on as, as a horrible night? Yeah, it was horrendous. Um, there was a lot of going on around the club at that time that I don't think people knew of going into that match. Um, we'd beaten TNS 1 0 at home fairly comfortably. And we'd gone over there and I think it was we were notified that basically the club was the club's gone broke between those two games. Um there was doubts about players being paid, um there was kind of things about the club being sold, stuff like that. But we got into that game and I think our minds are completely off off the game and we gone one 0 down fairly early on a, an astro pitch that was actually cut the night before because it's been torn up so it turned into it was like a tennis court so it was like playing a different sport but not to look for excuses but we were awful that night and deserved to be beaten by that much and it was just probably that was that along with the, the Togga Park um, relegation was probably one of the worst nights of my career What would you rank as the best save of your career? Um, I was actually looking back over the kind of videos and this, we mentioned how good the the uh, broadcasting was from TG4 back in the day I think that night in in Athlone Dubai Park there was a header we were 1-0 down and I'd gone the wrong way from a corner and I flicked my legs and kind of got my hand to it and flicked it out wide and as a goalkeeper myself I just know how difficult a save that was to make and um, I kind of that will be one of my more spectacular kind of ones that would stick in my mind so probably that one Got to ask you earlier. You were taken off at halftime of the, of the Real Madrid game, so are we counting that as a clean sheet? Absolutely, we a clean sheet. Up until the 86 minute, it's a clean sheet. Nothing <laughs> happened after that. Uh, kind of put you on the spot here, so you might not be able to think of one. But funniest moment of your career on or off the pitch? Um, funniest moment. I'd have to involve Pat Flynn, I think. I think that moment that when he got sent off and he walked by the manager and he goes, Finn, I don't know what to do with you. You're like Hannibal Lecter. I think I just need to lock you up. Like, I think that's, I think we all kind of knew we'd won the game, so it was kind of, you could chuckle about it. But 
Um, yeah, probably not. Uh, who's your favorite goalkeeper of all time in world football? Um, Casillas or Buffon. I think probably Casillas would tip the balance for me. I kind of modeled myself on him a bit when I was younger. Or I liked Fabian Barthez back in the day as well. But yeah, Casillas, and I think that was kind of the head of all the Galacticos. I wanted to come over from Madrid. All the lads wanted to play against Ronaldo, and Ronaldo was Casillas. I wanted to get, play against play against Jersey Dudek, but not quite the same. Uh, in your career, two centre backs you've played with. Pick two who you'd want in front of you. Pick two. Um, Jay Gavin, I think, in my first year, Rose was excellent. He was probably at the end of his career then, but he was so good. And maybe Darren Maguire or Aiden Price. Aiden Price was phenomenal that year in the, in the first division and then subsequent years after it. So it'd be. Um, him or Darren McGuire. Darren was also really good, but probably I go uh, Jay Gavin and Tyden Price. Yeah, so Barry Morphy, prof. Um, interesting yeah, stuff once again. Particularly the Michael O'Neill stuff, because uh, I don't think I, has anyone ever heard his side of, side of the story before. Yeah, it, what he was saying that um, he was thinking, who's this fella that we're after selling Gerald Bryan for? Like he's brutal. Yeah, it was interesting to get his thoughts on that. Saying he wasn't great initially. That, yeah, Gary Twig. But in terms of like when Manus came in and how he ended up leaving the club and all that, um, I've actually listened to a few goalkeeper interviews lately on in on under the cosh, and I don't know what it is about goalkeepers, but I particularly enjoy those ones. You had uh, Luke Steele, Nicky Weaver, Andy Woodman. That's that's probably my favorite. Mark Crossley was my favorite. Mark Crossley, that's not one. How yeah. good was that? That was brilliant. His Brian, his Brian Clough uh, yeah. stories just made it. I think it was Luke Steele who was saying that it's such a specialist position that keepers kind of need to be handled differently to outfield players. And I think maybe some managers don't understand that, that they do need to be treated yeah. a bit differently. And even someone like Mike O'Neill, like think of the people we've talked to, Flinner, Bacher, all them, and they've talked about how Mike O'Neill, his man management skills was brilliant. He'd put the arm around you and he'd say, I'm saving you for two weeks' time. Yeah. So you'd you'd get game time and you'd be involved. So you wouldn't mind being dropped, that sort of thing. You can't do that with a goalkeeper. No, you can't. So I think, as good as Michael O'Neill was, it's possible that he got it wrong with Baz. Oh! Because Rough. I think maybe when Baz left... Okay, he went to Bowes. But look at the circumstances. Look at how it looked on the outside. He, then delve into it. I think I think a lot of people feel that he faked an injury at Oriel Park, and then he, th- and then the words Michael O'Neill used was he crawled out under the fence mm. and then signed for Bowes. But he's he's explained his reasons there why he why he left. I think Michael O'Neill probably just forced he wanted Manus number one. Yeah, and he he forced Baz out. Yeah, which isn't which happens in football happens football all the time. I don't think Baz is the type to. You got to, that impression off him, yeah? To fake an injury. Yeah. To to be windy, I think. I think that's what Michael Neal was <laughs> was implying. That he was being windy. Yeah, so great so, stuff from Barry and really looking forward to seeing this in the in the Netflix series prop. Yeah. Yeah, so he's a three time player of the year award winner, which is a record as we said. But two of those awards he received at the side of the pitch before the last home game with very little fanfare or hullabaloo uh, which is a shame wasn't it yeah 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 we, we you gotta have a bit of hullabaloo don't you yep 
Look at the man. He's look how many managers he played under. He played under Roddy, Scully, Jim Crawford just for yeah. a few games as interim boss, Michael O'Neill, Trevor Crotty, Pat Fennan, Stephen Bradley. No other Rovers player has played under so many managers in so many eras. Like before and after Tata. It's actually Before probably, and after relegation. You could probably actually get a bit longer. Like we should actually tell. He could. He could tell a lot of stories. If you really wanted to, you know what I mean about all those managers. Yeah, maybe. Um, I always thought it was an unusual stat that he never played a European game for us. What? Never played. It's a massive stat. It's because we weren't in Europe in 2009, and then he left, and then we weren't in Europe in 2013 and 14, and then Brazler comes in. His first game is in Finland, but then he chose Highland in goal. Because mm. Highland made a mistake in that game as well. He did play in the Real Madrid game. Uh, shame Casillas didn't come over because he was his, he was his favorite keeper. And uh, yeah, he told me that day that he was banned on retiring. Uh, I don't think he's actually announced it yet. So I don't know what his decision was, but if he has retired, good way to go out. He he won the cup with Pats de Viva. I remember seeing that Mardi because mm. I'd only talked to him like a few weeks before that. Uh, yeah, nice way to grow. Also, Gareth, should we have had Dush Jerry do oh, this interview? Because so. remember... Our resident keeper, uh, main man. Do you remember we did the all-time 11 nominations and he had to pick four best goalkeepers since Milltown and poor Baz got left out? Oh, yes, maybe so. <laughs> I think it was got to do with his height, hasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, so that was very, very good stuff. Again, Prof, and very enjoyable. So we're going to move on to the Pats. President's Cup in Tala on Friday, 17 euro for tickets. We have the South and the Main Stand. So um, I think we're out selling Pats at the minute, but it's going to be a good game. Bit of needle to it as well, you know. It'll be interesting to see how we, how we line up. Interesting to see how Pats line up. No Desmond, no Benson. Um... A lot of players gone now. No Mighty Smith. I think Alfie, Alfie Lewis is gone. The court where they dial up front, but be very very interesting to see how they how they line up. Consider they've a lot of low knees as well. They played a friendly there a couple of weeks back, and I don't think I recognise any of their defenders. Yeah, no, it is. It's interesting to see how they come out. I think they're going to struggle over the course of the season. I just I they, they will have goals in them though. That's the only thing with Doyle. Clancy's a good manager. Yeah, true. And but will he hit the ground running though? They made some impressive signings up he front, anyway. Didn't hit the ground running with Drata, Prof. Took him a while. Yeah, well, Pats have sold 1,300 tickets. We've sold 2,600. So, hopefully... Levels. Keep that momentum going. Uh, like, 4,000 sold so far. Get some more. Make, make an occasion out of it, you know. It'd be, it should be a good night. Definitely, yeah. Great stuff. Check it out. As I said, get user member packs. And there's a retro 94... Scarf from the from the RDS days. Oh, get this one, yeah. This Pride of cool. Ireland, very cool scarf. That's gonna be in this. Uh, we got our comps, we got our free ones. We'll be collecting them on Friday. Personally, from Mark Lynch, wrapped <laughs> around his head. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, that's it for all our promotions this time, Prof. We've nothing else to talk about, do we? As regards to selling our wares, we've one or two things coming up. We're gonna go with starting elevens and predictions. <laughs> Possibly the toughest season ever for starting levels and predictions. I'm, I want to win this cup, but... I've, I've written down mine, but 
even now I'm thinking of changing it six like, times. You could easily change <laughs> easily. Like I'm um, there's players I'm looking at like like even right. I'm gonna yeah because because of the no <laughs> this is tough. So Manus Grace Pigo Gannon right that's our back three for the next world we know that. Farouk just starts on the left right. Um I, I was I think somebody said it that he was in the middle of the little ruckus out in Galway. And it was like that scene in Goodfellas when the kid comes out of court and they're like, yeah, you popped your cherry. You got a yellow. <laughs> and they're all like, yeah, go on, Neil. Neil getting stuck in for once. Uh, Finner on the right. Now, here's the problem. You don't say. Here is the problem. Is the problem oh. uh, choosing from 10 midfielders oh. in five positions? Right, I know what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go Gary O'Neill and Tell, right? I want to see Tell. I want to see how he reacts to playing this game. I want to see if we've got a fresh and revitalised Tell in the middle of the park. Now, that's right. unfortunate for Watts. I'm going to drop sense. Watts, right? Unfortunately, but I'm going to put Mandroy okay, Everybody, in. go online. Go on to your local gambling website, which is... <laughs> which we Which we encourage in this podcast. We yeah. encourage gambling. And taking loans off payday vultures. And bet... What's the score? Two goals. Because Gareth just dropped them. Uh, so Mandroyu comes on. He's been shit hot in preseason, and um, Bourne has to play. But now I had Greener in the starting lineup. But you t- you tickled me with Oidemo and Gaffney. I'm gonna see. I want to see a bit of pace. Oidemo with the pace. Mandroyu with the pace. And Bourne treading balls through the eye of the needle. I'm gonna go Oidemo to start. Because he's been sharp enough. Ooh. He's been sharp. Is that because of what I said earlier? Yeah, it is. I had Greener in there. But Greener mm. loves Pats. Greener loves a game against Pats. It's up in the air with mm. Greener and Oidemo. I'm going to go Oidemo. Young guy uh, latching onto balls from Bourne. And that's not including Bork, McCann, Watts, um, Gaffney, Greener. Like, that's that's ridiculous. The squad's a joke. It's a joke. Sack the board. My team, back for. I think your prediction. I'm going to go. I'm going to go 3-1. I'll say Owen Doyle will get a goal. I'm going to get Oidemo and Mandroyu Brace. Mm. Yeah, my team back five was the same, so I'll just skip ahead to the midfield. I'm going Watts, Gary O'Neill, because I think I think that is like the backbone of our midfield. Every game. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying about Tell. I want, it, I want them yeah. to... I want them to be the tell that I know. The tell that yeah. scored 25 in dark and left. I want that tell. And here's where it gets hard. <sighs> Burn, Mandroyu. I'm going to play Green and Gaffney at the same time. Because I, I, I... Exactly what you're saying about Green. So who are you dropping? Likes a goal against Bass. That's such a Look at who I'm leaving now. So tell, you- Burke, Cotter, Lyons. You have to leave out four great players. <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? Mad. Um, yeah, well, give us your, give us your prediction. Prediction, uh, 2-1 win. Uh, I think uh, Tunde is going to get him. a goal for them, but I think we'll score two from, I think Jack is going to come back with a bang. Yeah, Jack Bourne. He's going to score a free kick. He's a centre mid. Just adding random details in case <laughs> any of this happens. And uh, Gaffney would do their goal. Lovely stuff, Prof. Like that prediction. Um, we might win a new trophy, Gareth, for the first time since the 2011 Satanta Cup. Ooh, Prof, with the stats. So last time we won. And if we do win this trophy, you can sit down and have a pint, 
of green ribbon with it in the Provs on Saturday. I was going to ask you that. Are, are we going to bring the trophy? Oh, to we're going to have to. We're going to have to. If we win, we'll bring the trophy. Yeah. And put cornflakes in it. And put cornflakes. I don't even know if you can put something in it. Is it one of them trophies? I can't remember. I can't actually. Actually, you know what? I thought the Afghan Cup was actually very cool. Very, very cool. I like the way it looked. But I don't know if you can put anything in this cup. Or if it's like the 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 league cup, you know. Can we get Brazzer to bring his uh, soccer writer's personality board? That's a big one as well. Pigo, that's a massive trophy. Yeah, and we can just have a feast off of it. Use his plates. But yeah, no green ribbon launches on Saturday. We've been plugging it for a while now. Tickets are selling well. Um, really, really proud of this one. Really looking forward to having our own beer. Um, it's it's a. 5.5% Pilsner it's like Starro Pramen it's going to be a cracker the lads are very very proud of it as well who brewed it they reckon it's their best beer um, but I remember when you first be careful this prof because it's quite balls it's very balls this this whole venture is very balls having the lunch as well in a pub yeah imagine drinking pints with a Rover's Crest on your beer like imagine fucking balls isn't it but yeah We'll, uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. So we've got a yep. good lineup started off. We're going to kick it off at six. You're going to come in. You get your voucher for your curry. You get your voucher for your beer. You go in. You've got live music playing. You got the flock of boards. You got Dan Fulham. Uh, you got a. You've got a rebel set, and then you got a nineties techno set. It's it's gonna. We're gonna rock the house. It sounds very robbers to me, actually. <laughs> yeah. You. I remember you first brought this up to me in. April of last year like, you've been working on this a long time it's a couple of a couple of bumps in the road as well we were yeah. supposed to have it out in November and obviously COVID and lockdown knocked the bollocks out of us but um, it's just something that we felt as a collective between ourselves and the four probs was going to work because we have a, a good crowd in there quite a lot we, we go from away games we go after the games the home games and it's just it was a match made in heaven pretty much I mean it's a good good beer uh, it's a, it's got a Rover's emblem on it. I mean, what more do you want? She drank, she drank, she drank a green river. <laughs> I can't wait to have my first taste. Yeah, I'm buzzing for it. Uh, tomorrow, five o'clock, we're going down, Prof. We're going to do our little promo, me and Philly McGuire, so you're very welcome to join us. You can pop down after work and we're going to have a little taste and uh, get a bit of footage down in the four Prof. So definitely check it out, 12th of February, this Saturday coming. If you want to pay cash on the night, that's no problem. The doorman will see you there and you'll get your vouchers for your beer, your curry, your live music, the whole lot. Little tour, the brewery as well if you want. Uh, yeah, match made in heaven, prof. So yeah, Saturday 12th of Feb. But the Tifties, five year anniversary, prof. Five years we're doing this shy. Can you believe it? How much airtime have we wasted on people? Seriously, I'd love to know what's the accumulation actually. We'll check it out how many hours, how many days we've actually <laughs> talked, sat here, and then Johnny Blues. That's actually interesting. There's your stats. There's a stat. There's your stats There's a next. a new project for me now. Um, yeah, so we have a big guest and we've come, uh, already recorded, so we can't jinx it, and it's Roddy. And this one's going to be, uh, it's worthy of a five year anniversary. I think that's enough to say. Yeah. So our solicitors are at the ready. We have them prepped. <laughs> we have them prepped and primed. Yeah, the 23rd of February. 2017 that's when we launched this podcast so the five year anniversary so we have brought you on to Jesus to celebrate yeah my, my documentary interview this is twice as long as that documentary interview so but even then it flew I, in I said to you before you came on I said Garrett watch how efficiently he, he talks he fucking has a way of doing it doesn't he yeah he has a way of giving out what he wants rounding it off 
without incriminating himself, which he possibly does. And there's a joke twice. at the end. And there's a joke yeah. at the end. How many well. how many areas did we cover in one and a half hours? Loads. Everything, everything. And we made the interview out so that we would be able to trip him up. And didn't really take the bait. Like he did get he got really vocal at one stage. Really? And the decibels went up and his, his yeah. voice his his levels went up and he was pissed off. But uh you'll you'll hear it soon enough. There is some uh, some juicy stuff in it though. It is juicy. Yeah. It's juicy. Big juicy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you said, we can't jinx it. That's there was a time. Remember, like, I, I, it wasn't just us at Christmas time. Do you know the way like you make plans, and they would just all get cancelled. It just got to a point where, oh yeah, we're doing this and this on Saturday, but sure, it'd be cancelled. Yeah, we actually were because we were sitting here and we were. Well, we gave we gave Ruddy six to five. Not to turn <laughs> up, and we get the phone call. <laughs> no, but yeah, no, that's it. Was nice to be able to we put up the thing on social media. Here's the podcast schedule. Here's Barry Murphy and Roddy. It was nice to know these are in the bag. Yeah. This it's, already, it's already happened. So yeah. we, we can promise this and deliver on them. Yeah, Good stuff. Yeah, really happy with that. People are flaking mm. on us. What did I say to you, Gary, before you came in? I said, if you and Roddy do get into a fist fight, <laughs> just don't damage the bukes. Yeah, the bukes. It was offered as well. The old bare knuckle <laughs> was offered. So that's it. We're not. We're back until uh, we're back next Thursday for a Tifty's hotline, a UCD, and an opening day of the season team. So we are actually back in the south stand. We are buzzing. Five k fines, grand. We'll pay that. We'll sort that out. Do a whip around in the south stand, prof, and uh, hopefully some surprise callers for your entertainment. So really, really happy the season's back, as prof. And um, we are gonna see you in the south stand this Friday, coming for the Presidents Cup this Saturday for the launch of Green Ribbon. And that is it for this week, so keep on hooping. See ya. Get in line, there's no jobs and the kids are shooting.